Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by the great Stone Hansen, the wonderful Ryan Davis, and of course, new to the team, Cooper Rockets. Um, we're here to, to review the draft a little bit. Uh, we thought about doing draft grades, but for the most part, I don't think any of us really like draft grades. It's sort of a weird and, you know, non-nuanced way of talking about a draft that was just completed. So instead, we're just going to break down each team's draft, sort of how we're feeling about it. Uh, today is going to be the Eastern Conference. Um, it got off to an interesting start, and it never really it never really looked back. The draft was crazy. We had a crazy night. We've had a little bit of time to reflect on it, and we're here to talk about it now. Um, but before we do that, Stone, my friend, how are you doing? Doing well. Um, got a little bit of draft burnout, you know, but uh, now that I haven't watched as much film the past couple of weeks, I'm, I'm getting back to it. So uh, I'm doing well overall, though. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely been some burnout, but uh, I, I'm starting to get back into it. I've been watching some 2022 tape and I'm, I'm already ready for that. But uh, before that, we have to do 2021 wrap ups. Uh, Cooper, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great this morning. Uh, I've been watching some summer league. Really loved watching Devin Vassell and uh, his name's slipping my mind right now. Primo. Primo. <laughs> Yeah, Primo. No, I meant uh, Daquan Jeffries. But, oh. <laughs> but uh, no, it was really fun watching Summer League. That's like my favorite basketball to watch. Uh, I'm really excited to just wrap things up real quick, start getting into 2022. Yeah, it absolutely. Turns, it turns out that Eve Pons, we were right about. Yes, we knew it. <laughs> we knew it. Uh, the Grizzlies have done it again. It's uh, it's just like those uh, that 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 stupid gif. Uh, he can't keep getting away with this from Breaking Bad. That's the Grizzlies draft strategy. Davis, my friend, how are you? Doing? I'm good. Just enjoying a Saturday off, which is pretty crazy. Um, I don't remember the last time I had a Saturday off, so I'm enjoying it. Um, getting into the to 2022 class, I watched a little bit like a few days ago. Um, but just just. Watching the Olympics, basically, I was I was keeping up with the team Team USA basketball. I had some money on on them that they'd win gold. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad they pulled through and did that. Yeah, uh, Davis is is a smart betting man, I suppose. Yeah, USA basketball is interesting. Uh, 2022 is interesting. We will get there when we get there. But first, um, there's some interesting stuff going on uh, in, in the, with this year's draft. Some interesting team picks to talk about. Uh, so we're starting in the Eastern Conference, and we're just going to go talk about a whole team's draft, and, and we're just doing teams by pick. So with the first overall pick, everyone knew this was coming. Uh, I think Woj leaked it like six hours before the draft or something crazy. Uh, the pick was Cade Cunningham. That was the Detroit Pistons. Um, they did not have another pick in the first round, but then in the second round, they picked up Isaiah Livers, Luka Garza, and Balsa Koprovica. Um, and then on the two-way undrafted, they got Chris Smith, who was someone I really liked. So they they had an eventful draft. Five rookies is quite a bit, though we will dive into the fact that uh, there's some questions as to whether they will be rostered at all, even on two ways. Um, but before we do that, Stone, do you just want to give sort of your general impressions of how you think the Pistons did? Yeah, I mean, 
you can't be too harsh on them because they made the right pick at number one, right? So, like, if you take the best player available with the first pick, then you've already pretty much won the draft, and it's going to be really hard to overturn that. Um, that said, I, I liked the pick after their, their second pick as well with Isaiah Livers at 42. Uh, I thought that was a really good move. Another sort of three and D guy that could um, give them some lineup versatility. Having both him and Sadiq Bay out there could be pretty interesting. A lot of lethal shooting for Cade to work around, and Cade himself is there. Um, so that's just a ton of shooting for them and, and really good perimeter defense as well. Uh, after that, I pretty much didn't like anything they did. Um, <laughs> not a big fan of Luca Garza, um, at least as being drafted maybe as a two-way guy more. Um, not a big balsa guy. So those two picks, it, it was late, like I said. So when you're getting into the 50s, it's sort of nitpicking a little bit. Um, so, But th there is still some talent available that I would have rather taken than those two guys. Um, yeah, so, but I can't be too critical. They took the right guy at number one, and Isaiah Livers was a good pick. So good overall for them, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I'm currently writing for the Detroit Bad Boys. So if you want to hear my in-depth thoughts on all these guys, you can go find it over there. But yeah, they just sort of had, you know, it, it's hard to argue, like like Stone said, like Kate Cunningham, pick at number one, who it should have been. He's a fran he's going to be a franchise cornerstone, I have almost no doubts. Um, but an interesting thing I want to hit on, you mentioned sort of, it looked like they were like aiming low with Luka Garza and Balsa Kovrovica. I've heard that those guys might not even get like even two-way contracts. They might be yeah. just completely camp bodies. And that's, that's a really interesting development. We haven't seen much of um, where, which is like, you know, I, the last one I can think of is uh, Tony Carr. Uh, I want to say that was like 2017. He was from Penn, Penn state, state, right? Yeah. yeah. Penn state point guard drafted by the Pelicans and didn't get rostered, but for the most part, second round picks get at least two ways. So it's really interesting to hear that. I think quite a few of those bigs that went from 50 to 60 are simply not going to get rostered. Um, Davis, how, how are you feeling about specifically Cade Cunningham and Isaiah Livers, those two picks? Because I think those are the two that are really important. And I think something we'll hit on as we talk about all these teams draft is it's just, it's much more important to nail the top of the draft than it is to nail picks 50 through 60. So uh, yeah. Davis, how are you feeling about those two picks? Oh, yeah, I obviously love Cade at one. Um, I kind of think after after they got Cade, they kind of just did whatever. They're like, you know, the, the goal is complete. We got we got our guy. Um, we're just going to kind of just wing it now. Uh, but I, I actually did like the Livers pick. I'm, I'm right there with Stone. I didn't like the last two. Um, I love the, the first two. I, I actually got higher on Livers like late. Um, like right before my, my final big board, I watched more of them and, and moved him up a little. So I had him higher than where they picked him. Um, so I, I really like that pick as well. He's a, a three and D guy can probably help them out right away. Not that they're going to be a contending team or playoff team or anything, but um, he can at least help probably develop some, cause he is an older prospect. So he, he can probably develop some of the, or help develop some of the younger guys. Um, but yeah, I just think, Cade, once they got Cade, they they were they were good with with what they did. That's what they wanted the whole time. That's who they wanted. They got their guys, so they kind of just took a stab at the rest of the of what they had. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Coop, do you have any have any big takes on the Pistons draft? 
Uh, other than they should have taken Jalen Green, uh, I think it's interesting that Garza, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, has has a Eurozone citizenship, right? And Copervita as well. Yeah, they both technically could be stashed. Um, but from what I'm hearing, they're not going to be. They're going to be in the G League just for the – like they're going to be sort of running the the – G League team for the Pistons. That's what I've heard. I, you know, I'm not someone with with like great sources or anything, but they're not stashed um, as of now. The G League and I stashes. Heard, yeah, they're going to be just in the G League, and I think <laughs> technically that means the Pistons could retain their rights. I'm not 100 percent sure as to the the logistics around that, though. Still doesn't make sense. Just yeah, I think two bigs. That back are, to back. That both, <laughs> yeah, are massive and you know don't have the best movement skills. You'd think if you're gonna have guys in the G League like that, you'd I, I do like livers, uh, but you'd think you'd draft somebody who you like. I don't know. You can throw somebody who there's like a five percent chance that they'll be useful down the line, and throw them in the G League, and that's a better pick than drafting Garza and Kopravica to Kopravica to to play literally just summer league and G league. So I don't know. I not a fan of their second round stuff, but they drafted Cade. So not too many complaints for me here. Yeah. I think that's fair. I will say like, there's some intrigue with Copravita just cause he's seven one and like has solid feel as a basketball player. Also, Fun note is that he was uh, teammates with Cade Cunningham at Montverde. Um, yeah, Bolsa graduated a year before Cade, but they were teammates. Um, and Luca, like, if everything works out, like, he could be, like, an okay backup big purely as a drop killer if he really is, like, that level of shooter. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. Or just Those are sort of uninspiring. Um, I don't know if you guys have any takes on Chris Smith, but I really like Chris Smith. I had him as a first rounder last year. He's sort of an athletic slasher. Um, he he was shooting 50% from three before he tore his ACL in, in nine games, I think, eight or nine games. So he and he's always been a good free throw shooter. So there's some intrigue with him as a shooter. I you know, a six, seven, six, eight wing to to get on a two-way who has some clear athletic abilities, some passing skills. Like that's just a bet I really, really like. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any Chris Smith takes. Yeah, I mean, I watched him a lot at UCLA. Um, he's interesting, just like he has a lot of like ancillary skills as a six nine guy. He can shoot, defend. He's athletic. Um, obviously, pending that injury, uh, but it's just he does. He's one of those guys again that seems to do like a lot of things good, but like nothing like above average to me, or, or not even above average, but like he does nothing he can really hang his hat on for me there's nothing about chris smith that i'm like okay this is a, a definitive translatable nba skill that um i think he's gonna be you know really good at so from that perspective it's like i, I was fine with him not being drafted but at the same time he's interesting enough to where i i think the two-way is 100 percent fine value for him so I think that was a, a decent move by them. And I actually, I would have taken Chris Smith at least probably above Luke <laughs> in Balsa. So. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh, uh, Davis, do you have any Chris Smith takes? 
Um, yeah, I mean, Stone basically hit it. I, I would have drafted him before the other before the other two, um, for sure. I don't even think I had Balsa in my in my top ninety. Um, so I I definitely would have taken Chris Smith. I like the two way. Um, yeah, he he doesn't really do anything that you can say is gonna like for sure translate over. Um, but he does in the in the college game at least. He did give UCLA a little bit of everything. Um, so it was he was pretty interesting to watch. I watched a lot of Pac-12. So I did I did actually miss watching uh him this last year because I I really feel like he would have been fun with the with this UCLA team, especially in the tournament. Um, and who knows what what they could have done if he would have been able to join them back but um i like the two-way there i i mean if they would have dropped him i wouldn't have been mad so i like that they got him without having to use a pick yeah i think that's that's fair I, the last thing i'll say with the pistons is is it's just they they won the draft i mean as much as as we want to say and there's other teams in here we're going to point to and say oh they won the draft they won the draft in the end it re- you know the pistons got the prize of this draft he is the best bet at a heliocentric creator in this draft, but if he doesn't reach that top end, he could still very well be a, a, you know, a, a secondary star because of his ancillary skills. There's just like Kate Huntingham is so, so good. And I, you know, obviously as a draft pod, like people who listen to us know that, but I think it's something that needs to be said more and more because, you know, we with any top pick, you sort of like you say what they are and then you stop talking about it sometimes. But Cade really is that good. So uh, in, in the end, that's that's what matters for the Pistons. Um, but with that being said, uh, you know, the second pick was a Western Conference team. Uh, but the third pick was Evan Mobley uh, by the Cavs. The Cavs didn't take another pick, but uh, they got the number two guy on my board. Um, Coop, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, how do you how do you feel about this pick and specifically how he fits here in Cleveland? I really love the Evan Mobley fit in Cleveland. I think him and Jared Allen is just an incredible defensive front court. And then you throw in Isaac Okoro and there might not be the most floor spacing there, but that's the kind of thing that you can, you know, continue to grow and figure out, especially alongside two guards that are, have so much gravity and, you know, scoring ability in Sexton and Garland. It's just a really interesting young core and Mobley, where Allen is really dominant as like a drop big who, you know, can sometimes play at the level and he, he has very specific uses in the pick and roll. Mobley can do whatever. So he covers up all the other defensive weaknesses of a roster that has a lot. You can play him next to Kevin Love if he's still there and you have a really interesting front court duo. I mean, I just think he's, you know, he can play pick and roll, pick and pop with Sexton or preferably Garland. Sexton won't give him the ball. But, like, I, I think it's a really great fit here for Mobley at, at three and really gives the Cavs something to build around if they feel like they don't have that already. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Evan Mobley is, is another one of those guys just, like, he has so many paths to how he can be good in the league. Um, I, I like that. I think what I like most about this pick uh, specifically with Cleveland is that he'll get minutes at the four and the five because there's a very real chance that Evan Mobley can't be a five like in the regular season all the time. You know, I, like everyone sort of clowns AD, right, for for not playing the five enough. But I think there's there's something to be said that maybe he just doesn't have the physicality to be a five day in, day out in the NBA. So 
if he needs to get some reps at the four, be ready to play the five in, in say, closing lineups, I think Cleveland is a great place for that um, versus somewhere like, like, like a lot of places he would have been pigeonholed into just being a five or even just being a four if it was really the wrong fit. So I like, you know, they have Jared Allen who will play next to, and then when Jared Allen's off the court, he'll probably be the backup five as well. So uh, I, I like Mobley a lot here because, because he'll get to experiment and really to figure out what path to develop, like to develop into a superstar really makes the most sense. Uh, Stone, do you have any specific Evan Mobley takes? Yeah. Um, well, I will just say as a Lakers fan, Anthony Davis needs to play the five. Um, and if he doesn't, then just it shows that he's terrible at making basketball decisions. Anyways, um, Evan Mobley, I think, uh, should be a really good fit alongside Jared Allen. I think, like Cooper, like I've said it before, but I'll say it again because no other front court or or too big tandem, I guess, in the league has the sort of rim protection that those two will. And then you add in the fact that Mobley can still make it so that neither of them are are overlapping too much or crowding too much of the front court in the in dominating the paint. And then you're talking about something really special there because it's two elite. Um, rim protectors that don't hinder each other offensively so when you have that sort of combination I just it's really something that could be special then you throw in a Coro who I was a bit lower on but um, I've come around a bit on and obviously is a really really great defender um, on the perimeter so you have a really strong defense Um, I'm still not entirely sold on on Colin Sexton um, but you have Garland and Sexton nonetheless as, as um, your, your scores in that lineup. And it's something that I think can grow together. Um, all five of those guys, I think, can mesh, have the opportunity to mesh really, really well together. Um, and you get sort of like out of position stuff from all of them, uh, mostly the front court guys like Okoro can be a lot more of the facilitator in that lineup. Even Evan Mobley at times could be. Um, you just have a lot of lineup versatility with those guys. Uh, and then, you know, if Mobley can become a really reliable spacer from from uh, the three-point line, then you're talking about some really interesting, like, pick-and-pop things with Garland. Both those guys can pop out. Um, so it's there, there's so many things that Cleveland can do here, uh, and I'm really interested to see in how they're all, all sort of utilized. But I think enough of them do enough things to where it's going to be difficult for them to not mesh. Yeah, that's how I feel too. And I don't want to turn this into a Colin Sexton hate pod, but especially if they move on from Colin Sexton, they'll be like, they'll be one of the better passing teams in the NBA. I mean, Okoro is a pretty elite passer for his position. Uh, Evan Mobley, of course. Jared Allen is a very good passer. Garland is is sort of an average passer, but he's he's solid at uh, at at sort of getting the ball to the right people. Now they have Rubio too, which oh uh, yeah, which I think we forgot about. So. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's probably not going to be in their like long term future or anything, but even in the in the regular season for this year, like it's going to be something. I mean, maybe even like he can teach Garland and, and Sexton some things about passing. <laughs> um, but uh, when you have that, then you also Ruby is still like a decent defender, too. So you're going to have um, some pretty like interesting lineups with all those sort of guys and the different skill sets that they bring. And then, like Cooper said, you still have love there for whatever it's worth. I don't know if we'll get bought out or not, but um, 
there's there's an interesting mix of young guys and vets and in, in a lot of like different skill sets that they all bring the Cavs have done a really nice job in terms of like not overloading on overlapping skill sets um so i really like sort of the the different um versions of lineups you can throw out there yeah i'm with you and, and something that gets brought up a lot is that the Cavs sort of like oh they didn't care about fit and they drafted best player available and while you could say that because that was with that they brought that up with colin sexton and darius garland and now evan mobley and jared allen i actually think they're even though they're the same position on paper, they're all complementary skill sets, like Stone mentioned. So it's really, it's really interesting. I'll be interested to see what happens with Colin Sexton. Um, but that that actually something I probably should have got into with with the Pistons. And I guess I'll throw it to you guys and just think about it in both ways. We all have Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley one and two respectively. I think we expect them to be the two best rookies as well. If if I were to just gauge the room. Um do you think either of these teams are going to have a shot, like a real shot at the play-in uh, next year carried by one of their rookies, or, or at least in a big part with one of their rookies? Because uh, I actually, especially the Pistons, like I think the Pistons are, are closer than some people realize to being a play-in level team because I think Cade Cunningham is that good. But uh, Davis, I'll let you first. Do you think either of these teams could be a play-in team? Um, I don't. I don't think so. This year, I, I would, I would probably lean towards lean towards Cleveland though, just because I think I think Sexton and Garland and Allen are are better than than what Cade will have um, right away at least. But I, I mean, they're they're both going to make improvements. Uh, we're going to see more wins on on both of their records, but um, I I don't think they'll be there yet. But I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if, if it happened. The, the the thing is too, like the East is maybe stronger than we've seen ever. Like the East is is now no longer like the laughing stock of like oh you just go to the East and you can get to the finals really easily. Like there's actually legitimate strong competition in the East. So especially towards the end, I think it's going to be really really tight. Like the Hornets are also sort of in the mix for the, those play-in sort of games. Um, the Wizards are, you know, they, they could be. So there's a lot of teams sort of clumped up near the end, I think, that that could be in the mix. Um, the Magic, too, now with, with Isaac coming back. So there's a lot of, like, teams, and I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable saying that definitively this team will or will not make it at this point because I think – there's a lot of season to play and there's a lot of teams in the mix. So I think it could go a lot of different ways, which is sort of a lazy cop-out answer, but I think the capabilities that the Cavs and the Pistons have, especially some of the veteran signings they signed, like Olenek, I think fits really well with the Pistons. And obviously, like we mentioned with Love and, and Rubio, if they're still there, that they are um, some nice like veteran pieces to have, not necessarily that they're great or anything, but um you know, they're enough to maybe get you into that play-in scene. So I think it's tough to say that either of those will make it, but I wouldn't rule either of them out either. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I, some of me too is is I sort of forget that the Bulls have had like a very eventful season, I guess. Uh, should probably consider them more. I'm I'm generally lower on what they've done, but uh, this is an offseason pod. This is a draft pod. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to move on to the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors took Scotty Barnes at pick four, um, a pick we're going to have a lot to say about. 
uh, Delano Banton at 46, David Johnson at 47. I have not heard whether either of those two are going to be rostered or if they're going to get two ways. I would imagine at least one gets a two way and the other gets rostered, but very well one could sort of get the G League stash that we're that we've seen with the Pistons. Um, and then they have Justin Champagny signed as an undrafted free agent to a two way. Um, so, Davis, I'm going to throw it to you first because uh, you're you're sort of the Scotty Barnes fan of this group. Um, how did you feel about this pick at four? Um, I mean, I think for for the Raptors, I think I might have went. I might have went Suggs, but um, I mean, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind Barnes at all either. I hope they don't try to make him into like a point guard because I really don't think um, that that's where he's going to like excel best at. Um, I hope hopefully they pay him at the four or I still think they're going to move Siakam. Um, I don't know if it'll be now or soon. It might be like near the deadline, maybe next year. Um, but I think he he's, he's, better fit at the four, especially in Toronto. Um, but I, I did like the pick. I mean, I, I obviously was a big Barnes fan. He, he's a big, um, really good in transition. He kind of just doesn't have a position. Um, really, really good defender. He's not the best athlete, but um, he, he has a lot, lot of, a lot of tools to like. Um, and, and Toronto does have a good development system. So in that case, I did, I did like it. Um, also, I was a big Delano guy too, so I couldn't be mad at at that pick. Um, but they're they're both really big, lanky, kind of guards, forwards. Um, it'll, the fit will be interesting for sure. But uh, I did like the pick. I do think he was close to being the best player available. He was like right there with Suggs. Um, but I, I I think the main reason is they're they're gonna move Siakam and and he's gonna play either that three or four or, or the four for them. Yeah, so so I've made it known I was lower on Scotty, um, but Coop, I want to get your take specifically on this pick, and you can hit on the rest of their draft if you want. But I feel like Scotty Barnes is the real. This is the first sort of step to this draft, not going chalk. I mean, the first three picks we sort of all knew. Um, we thought this was maybe Suggs or Barnes, but mostly we thought Suggs. When it was Barnes, it wasn't like unheard of. Like I said, like there was some rumors of Barnes, but this is sort of where the draft started to, to feel like it wasn't going to be exactly what we expected. So, so how did, how did you feel about this pick in the moment and how, how do you feel about it now? Uh, kind of threw me for a loop in the moment. I really was expecting them to take Suggs and that was kind of what I wanted, but I didn't really think about the Raptors draft super deeply. Um, but I've been thinking about it and I really like Scotty here. Um, I think that if they really believe in Malachi Flynn and uh, Fred Van Bleet, then just having a guy like Scotty, and I don't know who's going to create advantages on this team. I mean, they have two small guards, but a small guards advantage is just that much more, that much less valuable than a normal sized guards advantage that they've created. And sure, the rest of their roster is absolutely massive. And they're they're all great passers, connectors, and I guess they're betting on some of them to be able to create. But I believe in I believe in Scotty here. I think I would prefer for them to keep Pascal because I'm selfish and I want the, to see an OG Scotty Barnes Pascal front court and just absolute havoc 
for the other team. Uh, I think Banton kind of fits into that. Not he's not <laughs> he has his defensive lapses, but um, I think his length and you know if he can really buy into the system and development, then you can just see some crazy lineups run by the Raptors this year. And if they don't have Siakam, then the craziness is a lot less fun and a lot more sad. Uh, I hope you guys are kind of getting, (laughs) I don't know if that makes full sense, but I hope you you get it. And uh, I think Scotty is just great here. Unless as, uh, as Davis said, they try to run him at point, which I don't think is what he's made for, but if anybody's going to get it out of him, it'll be Masai and Nick Nurse. So, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I don't love this pick from a value standpoint. I think I had Scotty like 12th on my board. So, this is a bit of a reach for me. Um, although we all, we all knew he would go um, probably top six. But I think like if anybody is going to do get the most out of Scotty, it's going to be Toronto, right? But at the same time, I, I think they just have what Scotty does in other areas. Like other players do what Scotty already does for the Raptors. So if you had the opportunity to get somebody like Suggs who fills in sort of a lot of what Kyle Lowry is leaving behind, then I think that is the better route to go. Um, Scotty. I just don't know how they are going to utilize Scotty like without having a really high level primary initiator because Lowry's leaving. I don't know how they're going to go about maximizing Scotty. Um, and I'm assuming Pascal's probably gone. Like it just, it seems like the writing is on the wall for him. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Scotty, but I do have enough faith in Nick Nurse that he's going to be able to, to develop him. Uh, more than any other coach, probably. It's just, I don't love the fit. Like, the shooting is going to be rough. Like, OG's come a long way as a shooter, obviously. But then, I don't know what they do in their front court. Like, is Kim Birch their center of the future, I guess, sort of for now? Um, and then you have, um, like, fine shooters around him, but nobody that's really going to, like, you know, create a ton of gravity from deep or anything. So, yeah you're just going to have to be really creative with how they use him. Um, and I think you put a lot less pressure on yourself by taking somebody like Suggs uh, in doing that. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops here. I don't, I don't love the pick, um, but I don't hate it because it is the Raptors. So um, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be interesting too, in terms of how they use him, like please him in any sort of pick and roll or anything. Um, because then I think that opens up a little bit more options for you. If you use him more as your center offensively, sort of like how I've been describing Gruba, like a three or four defensively and then a five offensively, um, then I think it opens up a lot more interesting possibilities. Probably takes a little bit of rim protection away, but at the same time on offense, you're maximizing his capabilities and sort of minimizing his weaknesses a bit more. So We'll see what happens with that, but I'm not a huge fan of the pick overall. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Scotty was someone who I was just I was just low on. I had him 18 on my board. I knew like whoever ended up picking him, like I was gonna be low on that pick because he wasn't gonna be around or where I had him. Um, but specifically at four ahead of the types of guys he went ahead of. It just it seems really rough to me. I 
I don't like the fit here. I just, but even fit, like you're, you have the fourth pick in the draft. I know you don't need to worry about fit too much, but it's just, I really worry that Scotty Barnes will not be able to be like a, even like average offensive player ever in his career or even below average to a point where he can exist out there. Like it's just hard for guys like him to, to really be solid offensive players because he's, he's too skinny to be like, like a really good screen setter. And he doesn't have the, the vertical leap to get off and and get to lobs. Um, I don't think he's shifty enough to be like a, like a real ball handler. Um, I don't buy the shot, but even if he does shoot, it's only going to be like on wide open spot ups. Like what value is there really? He has to be in a really creative offense. And to me, if I, if it's like I drafted this player and to make him work, he has to be in this super creative offense. Then it's, that's not someone who I'm taking it for. Um, So it's just, I don't want to hate on Scotty. And I've heard a lot of things about how he's just like, like he's the best person in this draft. And that's awesome. Like I, if you're taking someone based on that, then I think you're, you're kind of doing it a little wrong, but I get where you're coming from with that. If he really is just this incredible, he's, he's a very visual competitor. Like, like you can see, he's so into the game at all times and, and there's definitely stuff to like there, but I just really worry with the athletic deficiencies, the shooting deficiencies and, and not being like the craftiest person in the world that it's going to be really hard for him to make it work on offense. And I, don't see his defense as valuable as others do. So there's my my uh, why I'm low on Scotty Barnes spiel. And, and I hope for him and for everyone who I'm low on that it works out. I'm the last thing I want is, is players to fall out of the league um, or anything like that. But that's sure how I feel about Scotty Barnes. But I want to dive a little bit into their second round picks because uh, I find I found their second round picks and their undrafted signing really interesting. I'm a huge David Johnson fan. I had him as a first rounder. Uh, Delano Blanton is, is really, really interesting, a really weird looking player, plays weird. Uh, Justin Champagny was a, was a solid two-way bet. So, Cooper, I'm going to throw it to you. How are you feeling about uh, that collection of three guys they got there? Uh, I definitely like it a lot more than Detroit's. Uh, I think Banton, even if he's not super polished right now, you see the flashes of his passing in different situations. And I think that's what you want to see from a guy who you project as a playmaker, not that he makes a lot of passes that are all the same, but that he makes a large variety of passes that shows you that he sees the floor like that. And I think that's really what makes him interesting to me. And uh, I think I would like the David Johnson pick if I wasn't completely, if I didn't think they were just going to turn him into a guard. Like I, like you, Bryce, I like him better as a wing when you kind of view his, his skill set through the, the wing lens I think he looks a lot better but I am kind of concerned that with their lack of advantage creation that he's going to basically have to be a a ball handler unless they like unless Malachi Flynn becomes their full-time backup point guard so I mean I I really I like the pick I'm just kind of concerned about it and I like Champagny on a two-way I thought he probably could have gotten drafted and I you know, it's just a good collection of talent for a Raptors team that's so good at development. Yeah, I, I feel that, Stone. Yeah, um, I think what's interesting about the Raptors draft is they seem to take, like, or they seem to have taken a lot of connector-type pieces when they already have a lot of those sort of pieces. But of the three, I think Banton is actually somebody who 
has the most opportunity to be sort of a primary like guard um, as opposed to Scotty or David Johnson. Um, like Banton, like he sucks defensively. I'm just not going to sugarcoat it. He's just a terrible defender. But um, um, I think it would be much easier to hide him as opposed to a lot of other guys. Um, and then David Johnson, too. I see him more as a wing as opposed to somebody who is, you know, going to create for others. Um, but they have so much length and so many, like, ball movers that it's going to be really fun, I think. Defensive coach. It's like all he does is defensive stuff. I feel like that's really, like, I don't know. He does, he gets them to do a lot of different stuff. Yeah, but, like, when you have like well we'll talk about it after because i know how price, okay. yeah. price is limited um <laughs> should i just uh start pick off i don't know where i left off yeah I, i'm sorry i had to fucking change my wi-fi uh no, should I just start start house? yeah just start from the just um kind of you were talking about said, how banton is like you, know, you said um, he sucks on defense but he's long and yeah yeah okay basically I'll just, I'll just start over and make it more brief. Um, yeah, so I think with the Raptors, it's they, they took a lot of these sort of guys who are connectors um, when they already have a lot of those sort of guys on their roster. Um, like I see of the three, though, I think Banton is going to be more of a guy you can rely upon to create offense than the other two. He, he just seems to be able to um, he's just a better creator than the other two. Um, and that's not to say he's like a better scorer or passer because he's probably not. But I think um, as being like a six, nine guy who can be really long and, you know, be your point guard, that's pretty interesting. And then David Johnson and Scotty Barnes are sort of connecting wings to me. Um, but they have so many of these long ball movers that it's going to be um, pretty easy, I think, for them to, it might be easier for them to create than we think just because they're all long ball movers. Like maybe they don't need necessarily one of these guys to be like the the offensive engine, the whole game where they're able to um, just make smart passes until they get an open shot. So, um, I mean, I'm not saying that's like the optimal offense because they obviously have like Malachi Flynn there who can do a bit better of a job in the pick and roll and things like that. But I think, um, uh, between those three guys, and I'm not sure how much run the, the, the second round picks get, but th- that's a lot of like just long ball movers. And uh, even though David Johnson and Barnes are, are solid defensively and Banton isn't, Banton being a 6'9 long mobile guy, like that's going to be a lot easier to hide defensively than, you know, as opposed to other people who might have be a bit smaller in stature and just aren't great defenders. So um, and then Champagne too. He's somebody that I thought was draftable, like with the 60th pick. Um, he's an interesting two-way guy. I don't know really what his role would be in, in uh, Toronto. I don't know if they'd play him as a wing or as he played in college as sort of like an undersized big with rim protection. But um, yeah, I think this is a fine sort of a second round undrafted sort of guys they took here i'm not a huge david johnson fan but again in toronto i think that he has the most opportunity to develop as opposed to most other teams 
Yeah. See, I was a huge David Johnson guy, and I'm with Cooper. I see him more as a wing, but I think he'd be a really, really good connecting wing. He's a good defender. Um, he does get into the paint a solid amount. Like he has solid burst. He can run up, he can roll, but uh, it's probably going to be more second side pick and rolls in the NBA. But I think he's really good at that. And at six five, and he's really strong and really long. Like I think there's some potential there. Um, Banton is like he's not just a bad defender, but he's like a hilarious defender in some of the some of his moments on tape. Um, he's gonna have he's gonna have a lot of Shackton moments in his career. Yeah, yeah. But I also think like like Stone mentioned, like at six nine, at like as athletic as he is, like I'm sure he can be taught to fix his footwork a little bit and like just if he just had to like guard someone in a one-on-one he could probably <laughs> be okay like like his issue is a lot more like like anytime he's in rotation he has he's like all over the place which is so it's so odd because he's such a solid like passer and you feel like that usually translates to the other end but um yeah he's an interesting bet at 46 i had him a little lower but i'm, I'm not gonna nitpick just getting your guy wherever they're at in the second round um davis do you have any takes on their draft as a whole um i i definitely like their second round a lot more than than detroit's um but yeah they're just really interesting guys kind of kind of just interesting fits um interesting to develop they're they're just not not really ready guys um at the moment but they're they're gonna have to take some time um i don't think they'll get much playing time this year but they, they probably will be in the G League, uh, most of it. Uh, I think I liked I liked Banton the most out of the second round. Um, I, I was kind of late on Champagne. I, I didn't watch much of him until the end. Um, but kind of like Stone said, I don't really see a role. Like, he was really good in, in college, good rebounder, even good, good scorer in, inside. But um, I don't know if he'll be able to, to move that over to the NBA. But it's, it's definitely worth a, a two-way. I had him draftable, so I, I don't mind that at all. And then David Johnson was also like 50-something on my board, so draftable as well. So uh, they, had, they had three guys um, all draftable in the second round uh, for, for me. So I, I couldn't be mad at, at their, at their uh, second round. Just the fits were a little weird, but, I mean, it is Toronto, so they might make it work. Yeah, it'll be – Toronto is going to be one of those interesting teams to watch this next year. Um, I think they're going to be back in Toronto, actually, which is nice because I think the Tampa thing really messed with their chemistry as a team. Uh, of course, Kyle Lowry's gone, so that means maybe starter Malachi Flynn. We'll see. They don't necessarily have an heir apparent at the two. Uh, I'm a huge Malachi guy. I had him top 10 last year, and he's also uh, from Tacoma, so so I'm obviously a stan. Um, but with that being said, uh, we're going to move on to the magic. Um, the magic took Jalen Suggs at five and Franz Wagner at eight. Uh, no second round picks, no, no like priority UDFAs they have on two ways. Just they took two top 10 picks. And on draft night, we were really, really excited about their draft. Um, we were all pretty <laughs> shocked Suggs fell to five. And, and even though he wasn't like numerically the best player on my board, I, I honestly probably would have taken him at five. Sans Kai Jones, of course. Um, and then Franz Wagner at eight, uh, just another really solid pick. They're starting to put together a, the semblance of a, of a real team considering towards the end of last year, after they traded Vucevic, they were, uh, not a real team. They were a G league team masquerading and playing NBA games. So 
they're starting to put it together at least a little bit. Um, Davis, how, how do you feel about the Magic strap? I actually really liked really liked what the Magic did. Suggs fouled to them, so that was obviously the right pick. Um, and then and then Franz, I, I really liked. He was a top ten guy for me. Uh, I I think I would have rather taken Moody just because Moody was like seventh for me, and I think he has a little bit more of a of a ceiling, a potential which I, I still don't know if the Magic got, like, their star or, or that player to build around. Um, I don't know if they think they have it already, uh, which they might. I, I'm not sure either. Depends on how they develop and and who who they're planning on building around. But um, I, I don't know if if they got really their guy yet, but I, I, do, I do think they got two um, 100% role players at least um, in the NBA for – for years like long career players um maybe like an all-star too but um i i don't think they really got like the like the star they can build around yet but overall was a really good draft i i couldn't be mad at it couldn't be mad at what they did yeah i'm with you and that's what i found interesting about their draft was that they didn't take like a big swing at a future star. I think they took two bets that are, are going to be those secondary tertiary type players, uh, really solid connecting players. They're sort of building like a really good infrastructure for the eventual star. They can either draft or sign or trade for or whatever it may be, you know, Jalen Suggs at the one and, and maybe RJ Hampton at the two and Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. Like, Whoever they put out there, they're always going to be above average passers, smart players, good off-ball movers. They don't really have a break-the-paint advantage creator right now. Maybe that's R.J. Hampton. I, I still believe in R.J. Hampton. Um, but they're sort of building the perfect infrastructure for a, a real talent to come in. Um, Stone, how, how are you feeling about the Magic Strap? Yeah, um, I'll just – I'll keep it pretty brief because I think – I've pretty much laid out how I feel about the magic. Like they've just collected all the assets they need for that one guy to come in and be the star and elevate the rest of this team. Um, and they just co continued that on draft night. I think they collected again, some, some really great assets, but none of them are really going to be that sort of star or, or um, like offensive engine. So, you know, I think like they have everything in place. It's just, they need that. Um, and then Wagner and Suggs are just two more guys to add into the fold. Um, maybe they, they have so much, so many nice young guys that I think it wouldn't be a bad move for them to look at trying to consolidate them if it means bringing in sort of that star. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think they have like so many interesting pieces and so many different lineups they can put out there. Um, and, and Wagner and Suggs just add more playmaking into the fold. Um, both of them are, are going to be strong perimeter defenders, I believe. So, you know, they, they got two-way guys that do really interesting things that I really like, but neither of them are really going to elevate the rest of this team, and I think that's what they really need. But that guy wasn't going to be there at five or eight, or, uh, eight for them. So I think they did about as well as they could have, um, given where they were, were picking. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think they really maximized having two top 10 picks, um, but not being able to take a superstar. Like I didn't think there was a superstar really mocked in this range. You know, I for all these picks until well, I guess until the next team we're gonna talk about, I could talk about how 
they should have taken Kai Jones, but I won't do that. That's boring. That's going to ruin our uh, our whole pod if that's all I, you know, because I can do the same with Sharif Cooper or whatever. Um, focusing specifically on their draft, almost sans value. It's, I mean, they got two top 10 picks. If they weren't going to take a superstar bet, it, it, it's hard to imagine two better connecting pieces here. Um, and I just, I'm, I think the Magic are just, they're for once like a seemingly competent franchise. Like they, that, the Vooch trade they made was really, really excellent. Um, these two picks I really like. Of course, the boot trade ended up is how they got Franz Wagner. So, uh, Coop, do you have any takes on on the Magic strap? Uh, I won't say much. You guys have basically said all my thoughts. Um, I did just want to say that they, I kind of feel about this Magic team like I felt about Detroit last season, that they have a mega creator-sized hole on the roster. Uh, and they're building, that, they're building everything else up because there's no point in taking – these mega creator swings or whatever, if there's not a super high chance in their mind, I, I assume, you know, of getting one. So I, I like the move. I think it's a good draft. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to grab somebody next year, whether it be through trade, free agency, draft, whatever. Yeah, uh, they're, they have a uh, Paolo Bencaro-sized hole on their roster is how I would put it. Um, or, you know, Maybe they'll go crazy and it'll be Nikola Jovic or something. Um, there's a lot of guys in next year's draft that I can't wait to dive into. Um, but we're going to move on to our to I would say, <laughs> I think all of our favorite drafts, um, and that is the Hornets. Um, and, and it's funny that it's all of our favorite drafts because I don't think it started off in a place we were all like, oh, that is such a great pick. They took James Booknight at eleven. Um, solid value. Book Knight was suspected to go higher and did it, and he fell to them at 11. Um, but then they traded back into the first round and got Kai Jones at 19. Um, and then at 37, they got JT Thor. Uh, and and at 56, they got Scotty Lewis. Um, so I'm just going to say that they got my fourth-ranked player at 19. That is is just mathematically incredible value. Um so this this was one of the more like like a, a mathematically best drafts on my board, but I also like really love what they're building. Um, Stone, I'm gonna throw it to you first because because I know you're similarly in on on Kai Jones and JT Thor like I am. Uh, how do you feel about their draft? I know you were very excited on draft night. Um, are are you still as excited looking back? Uh, I am. Um... And what's interesting, you know, like their 19th and 37th picks were ranked higher than their 11th pick for me on my big board. Um, like I think I had Kai fifth and then I had JT Thor ninth or 10th on my board. So they got two top 10 guys at 19 and 37, which is again, just like mathematically, it's really good value. Um, so I, I'll start with Booknet, I guess, because that's probably, you know, what they're what they perceive as their, their most value because they took him the highest. But, um, you know, I think Book Knight alongside the Mellow can be really interesting because Book Knight's probably one of the better off-ball uh, off guards in this class. Um, I buy his defense probably more than a lot of other people too. So um, if you have, you know, a, someone that can play off of Lamelo but still create for himself, uh, it could be pretty interesting. I was lower on book night um, on draft night, but now that he's, uh, I've sort of had a chance to think on it and, and dwell on the pick. I actually like it a bit more than I did on draft night. 
Um, I think, you know, now that Malik Monk is gone and Devontae Graham is gone as well, it opens up some more minutes and usage for him. Um, and he could be, he's so athletic that he could be even like yet another lob threat for him. Um, and we'll get to the other two guys too, or the other three guys actually, because the, their whole rest of the, who they picked are lob threats. Um, with Kai Jones, I'm not even going to talk so much about what he does. Cause I think we did a lot of that pre-draft to we'll just sort of speak on what he brings to this team and maybe how he can be used. I think he's going to be, um, the, uh, another really great lob threat. And we talked really in depth about which Carolina about this pick, hoping it would happen. Um, so if you really want to hear like what we think about it, that's probably the best place to, to listen to that. Um, you know, but if he is in a lineup with, like bridges and, and um, PJ, like that's a lot of length and lob threats and, and roll guys and switchable defense that it just gives them so much versatility. And like, it, it's going to be between him and Thor. It's going to be, it's going to be a process. A lot of fans are going to be going gray over the next couple of years, but I think um, it's well worth the development and the timeline because you're, you're, right now on the timeline of LaMelo Ball, he's your best player and he's still super young. So you get guys that are going to be a little bit of projects now, but in the long run, I think it's going to be worth it. Uh, JT Thor, another guy, super long athletic, um, maybe not quite the lob threat that, that Kai is, but um, probably a better shooter than he is. Uh, might be a better perimeter defender. Um, there's a lot to like, but and JT Thor is super young too. Uh, and then Scotty Lewis, um, I know he's Cooper's guy, so I'll, I'll sort of leave the meat for him. But I think uh, he's going to be, uh, again, a really strong defender. So they have – they got just deeper. Um, I don't love the fact that they got Mason Plumlee in there because I think it's going to take away minutes from PJ at the five, which in turn takes away minutes from Kai Jones at the four, which I think would be their most effective lineups. But um, – maybe after this year there's room for uh, even more growth and, and opportunity for those guys. So I like the pick overall. I think it's going to be a little bit of a uh, baby steps. It's not going to be something that immediately comes to fruition in terms of relative how high we were on these guys. It's going to take a couple of years for that to come through, but I think in the long run, it's going to be well worth it. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about what's to come for the Hornets. And it'll be like a top three league pass team this year, at least. Top one. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, I love this draft. I think what it really signifies for me is that the Hornets really value versatility. Um, they have, there are so many things they can do with this roster going forward. And even if it means Kai Jones doesn't work out, like I will be happy because that means JD Thor or, or PJ Washington or Miles Bridges really work out or, or however it goes there. They just have so many options in front of them in the front court. And, and even Scotty Lewis and James Booknight to an extent represent that in the back court um, of they're just building a team that's going to be very versatile defensively. They can do a lot of different things offensively. They can play really fast. Um, I was on a podcast. Uh, I don't think it's out yet, but we talked about the Hornets for like two hours. And, and if you really want to hear me break down each of their, these guys' games, uh, you can find that. But this, this draft is just, it was my favorite of the night, even though I was lower on James book night and I was lower on Scotty Lewis because I, I really value what they're building here. I think they, they, they've, they've identified that they have their future superstar 
or at least what they think can be their future superstar. And they're just trying to build with his strengths in mind at every step of the way. Um, so, so I, I really love this draft. Uh, Coop, do you want to give, give the Scotty Lewis spiel a little bit? I, I know you do. So. Uh, I will never back down from talking about Scotty Lewis. Uh, even if I get absolutely roasted by people who are a lot smarter than me about him. Um, I think he's a havoc wrecker. He's very athletic. He's very long. Um, he's not, he doesn't always make the smartest play. You know, he's not, he's not, he's a, but you know, not everybody's going to have the highest basketball IQ, but if you're going to, if you could pick one guy in the second round, you were like, Oh, Borrego can really do something with this guy. And I mean, maybe he doesn't run the best defensive optimization, but he runs a lot of different stuff. And I think that that is sort of that you, if you can throw Scotty Lewis into that, I think he'll have a role immediately. I think he's a better defender than some of the, the more random wings that they've had over the past few years and will really be able to enable Borrego to just run some funky, funky stuff. And hopefully they can work on a lot of the stuff that needs working on. You know, they have the time to really help him to develop. And I think this is a great place for him to go. So really be able to show off his strengths and potentially minimize his weaknesses. And at 56, it's a, it's a low risk bet for the next Zach Levine. So very exciting. Yeah, we we uh, I should note too that uh, Scotty Lewis is not one of those who's getting in a a non guaranteed or Julie deal. He he's on a two way contract, um, which is generally what you see with guys like this. The Hornets also are bringing over Arnolmas Kulbaka uh, on a two way, who, who I really like. Um, he has short arms, but he shoots really well, and he's a very smart defender. Um, I don't know if he'll really be much, but I, I liked that pick when they made it. I liked it a lot better than uh, Rodion's Kubruks, who, who sort of got some excitement early in his Nets careers, and, and they went around the same place a couple years ago. So, uh, yeah, Scotty uh, is getting a two-way. Um, Davis, how do you how do you feel about this draft in general? Um, yeah, I, I was a little lower on book night too, like like Bryson Stone, um, but. There was there was a few teams that I did think he fit he fit on. Um, Hornets were one of them. I just didn't want a team to try to to make Book Knight um, like a facilitator or a passer or um, you know something like that. I, I think he he's a good scorer. Obviously not the best shooter. Um, I do think it'll get it'll improve a little bit though. Um, but I I just didn't see really anything like what else he would bring if he wasn't scoring at a high level um but I feel like with with the Mallow playing off the ball that that's just what the role he needs and uh, I think he's gonna get that in in uh in Charlotte so I I, re- I like that one now thinking about it and then um obviously Kai was a, a great pick the favorite pick of the night uh, top 10 guy for me too um, and got him at 19 so you can't really beat that um, and then just the the lineups they can run the fun they can have as a team and and they're just going to be probably probably the the funnest team to watch this year um, and I'll probably watch like the most games I can of of them I wonder what the most dunks a team has ever averaged in a game for a whole season is because I I would put Vegas money that uh the Hornets will break that this year 
Um, I'd be shocked if they don't have the most dunks of any team ever because it is just – it's going to be very fast. There's going to be a lot of alley-oops. Um, and a lot of these guys, their primary mode of scoring is dunk. So uh, go ahead, Stone. Is there like an over-under on LaMelo getting double – averaging double-digit assists this year? Because I might take the over on it. I bet I, – there's a solid chance that like – I know you can find props like that. It's probably like it's probably at like nine point five or something like that. I would yeah. take over two. I Lamelo could legitimately average like thirteen assists this season. Like yeah, there's got to there's got to be Vegas has everything like that. They have like they have all those all those bets. Anything you can think of, I'm sure they have it. Yeah, somewhere maybe one of them will sponsor us someday. And until <laughs> then, uh, until then, I, I refuse to give any free advertising. Um, but with that said, we're gonna move on to the Pacers draft, uh, a draft I think we all like quite a bit less than the Hornets. Um, the Pacers took Chris Duarte at pick 13, Isaiah, they traded, um, and got Isaiah Jackson at pick 22, and then they signed Dwayne Washington Jr. on a two way. Um, this is the first draft that we've talked about so far where I don't like any of these picks. Um, even, even the undrafted free agent signing, I don't love. So, uh, I, I'm going to throw it to, to you first Coop. Um, how, how do you feel about this draft as a whole? Because it, it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, I don't like the Duarte pick. I'll just come out and say that now. I don't think you take guys with his skill set in the lottery, especially when he's, you know, a senior citizen, as many people like to say, um, it's very uninspired. It's boring. I even like taking Kispert here more because he's slightly younger and I think has some better ancillary skills. I don't like that either, but it just shows you how much I dislike taking Duarte at 13. It's uh, after such a terrible season for the Pacers with so much the, the hubbub surrounding them with all the Bjorkgren stuff and oh. Uh, very sad. Made me very sad. I, I like Isaiah Jackson here. I don't actually like it, like, like it, like it, <laughs> but I like it a lot more than Duarte at 13. Um, I think he's at least interesting. Um, maybe he'll shoot it. Maybe he'll just be a rim protector who, you know, you can add some more defense next to Sabonis off the bench or something. I don't know if uh, Carlisle will play him to develop him properly, but hopefully they get something out of him. I think he's definitely going to be an NBA player. I think his skill set is there, but there were guys like Garuba on the board who could have, you know, actually done a lot more. And uh, you really, there, <laughs> there are about 200 guys and you decided to sign Dwayne Washington Jr. to a two-way <laughs> it just it, one of my least my least favorite drafts so far and i think it might be my least favorite in the east so yeah i think so coop and i are definitely on the same page um i'm even lower on the isaiah jackson pick than him because i just like they have what four they have like four centers on the roster right now um they drafted Google, yeah go ahead and Isaiah Jackson's probably like the worst out of the four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have <laughs> to play in the G League, I would think, or else he's never going to get any minutes. Um, you know, Goga Batadze was way more NBA ready and has barely played in his NBA career thus far. Like, I just, I don't get that pick 
not only for this team, like from a value perspective, Isaiah Jackson at 22 is like, okay, I wouldn't have done it. I had him at like 30 on my board, but he was in a tier that, that I could see it, but not for the Pacers, not to trade Aaron holiday in the 31st pick for Isaiah Jackson. Like, it's just, it's just not a pick. I love, he can maybe he'll give them something they haven't had in a long time. And that's like athleticism. Like they, they haven't had a vertical athlete in forever. I can't think of the last time they had someone who could like legitimately catch lobs um, because Miles Turner isn't a great vertical athlete. He's, he's a very good timing shot blocker, but not like a verticality all the time shot blocker, but still, you know, if, if that's what you're drafting someone on at 22, that's kind of, I don't know. It's just, this draft is just very uninspired. And then, yeah, I even agree with Cooper, like Dwayne Washington Jr. Like over Matt Mitchell or all the guys you could assign, you take, one of the more inefficient shot chuckers in, in college basketball. Um, I just, I, I just don't get where they're coming from with this draft. Um, Stone, how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel like we're getting progressively lower and lower <laughs> the more we talk about it and I'll, I'll be the most blunt about it. I hate this. I think it sucked. Um, they had a terrible draft night. I think, you take Chris Duarte, and first of all, Chris Duarte jokes, old jokes will never not be funny. Um, they're just always going to be funny because he's always going to be old and close to retirement. Um, I think he's just not really like you have <laughs> you have Levert and you have Brogdon who already feel like a lot of the same things that Duarte like. Duarte off the is coming off the bench and really not like giving you any sort of different lineup versatility. He can shoot, yeah, and you lost to McDermott, so I guess that's sort of the rationale behind it, I would assume. I think they knew they were losing McDermott and they wanted to replace some of that shooting. So maybe that's the case because they don't want to use Justin Holiday in that role. But, like, Garuba was still available. We saw what he's been doing. He's a fantastic defender, and we saw towards the end of the year, like, the Pacers could have really used a defender like that. Gruba is the game-changing sort of defender that they could have used. Isaiah Jackson, um, <clears throat> first of all, how dare you? Go go Bataz de Arisha in terms of vertical threats. Uh, <laughs> but Isaiah Jackson is like you're taking you're taking a super replaceable archetype in the early 20s when you have guys that were still available that could give you so many different other things. And then this, I mean. I don't think you can look at this pick and not assume that Miles Turner's like on his way out. I think most people sort of figured that his time was coming eventually, but this pick sort of just, I guess, pushes that over a little bit um, in terms of that. But if you're drafting just to replace Miles Turner, you have Goga there already. I think, I think Goga is a better center than Isaiah Jackson. He just offers more uh, offensively and, um, is still a good rim protector. So I don't really see the logic behind taking Isaiah Jackson here, um, especially moving up from 31 and, and adding Aaron Holiday, who I know some people are lower on. I still actually really like Aaron Holiday as a backup point guard. Um, so now not only are you trading your backup point guard just to move up a few spaces to take a guy who's going to be your backup center, like I just don't really get the logic behind it. And then Dwayne Washington Jr., like, I had him as, I think, a top 90 guy, and he might have been exactly at 90, like, uh, in terms of guys who are, like, 
guys I would consider as two-way guys, but like he's probably the very last person on that list. So I'm just not a huge fan of what they did at all. Um, I don't really get what the Pacers are doing here. Like they have a lot of interesting talents on the roster already. I think they're a good and honestly sort of underrated team. Uh, and a lot of their contracts are really well uh, put and, and agreed upon, but I just don't get what they did on draft night, man. And I don't love it at all. I think this is, I know we're not doing grades, but if we were, this would be an easy F for me. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't blame you for being harsh. I had Dwayne Washington Jr. at 116, just, uh, just so we're clear. Um, so yeah. That's, Bill uh, higher than you had Scotty Lewis. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've, I like Scotty Lewis in, 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 uh, Charlotte a lot more than I like Dwayne Washington in in Indiana. I'll say that. Um, Davis, do you want to give maybe some quick thoughts on, on this draft? Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it quick. You guys said it. Uh, I don't. I don't like the draft at all for them. Um, I wasn't high on Chris Duarte at all. Probably won't be ever. Um, just, I mean, it, it's nothing. You know, nothing bad. He's just already the oldest player in the draft shoots. I don't see much, much ceiling or much more potential. Um, and especially like Indiana, they're, they're really not ready to, to win now. Um, so, I mean, maybe like if, if they were a contending team, I wouldn't have mind Duarte, but they're, they're not. And I, I don't think the the fit or, or he was the best player available. So I don't think they got either or with that pick. And then uh, Isaiah Jackson, uh, yeah, I, same thing. I, I don't like the trade. I, I, they shouldn't have traded up for for someone that they have like four of. Um, so I, it, it's weird because Indiana is usually pretty smart. They usually like, you know, they usually make good decisions and and stuff like that. But I I, I really really question them this draft. Uh, Dwayne Washington, I think he was like ninety something. So yeah, I, I didn't like any of their picks at all. Um, but I mean, they are pretty pretty good at drafting usually and and pretty good front office, but, um, so, I mean, we'll see if we're all wrong, but I, I didn't like it at all. Yeah. So, uh, we have consensus that this was a rough draft for the Pacers. Um, that's sort of, so, so that finishes the lottery section of this, of the Eastern conference. So we're going to go a little faster with these teams. Um, so, uh, with the 15th pick, the Wizards took Corey Kisper, and with the 31st pick, they took uh, Isaiah Todd. They had the 22nd pick, and they traded that for Todd and Aaron Holiday. Um, this draft is another one I'm, I'm slightly uninspired by. I like it better than the Pacers one, but I don't love it. Um, Stone, how are you feeling about this Wizards draft? Yeah, um, we're just going to continue the trend on hating on draft nights because uh, I hated this one. Uh, I don't get what the Wizards are doing at all again. Like, you – it's even more confusing, honestly, after the trades they made in the offseason. Like, now that you have Kuzma there, um, like, I just don't really get what they're doing. Like, because if you're the Wizards and after you're trading Westbrook, like, I get that you want to build a team around uh, Beal and stay competitive so that he doesn't request a trade which I think is inevitable anyways. But um, I think, like, he, with Kispert, you can you could have signed Doug McDermott and gotten his value in free agency. You could have uh, taken Reggie Bullock even. Like, there, there's so many guys out there in free agency that can fill the sort of role that he does. 
So why not do that and then take sort of the, um, no pun intended, upside swing here and try and get somebody that can, you know, really like take your team to the next level because if you're not going to get it in free agency, where are you going to get it? You're not going to get it through trades. So you might as well try and, and use the draft for that. Um, and I don't think they really did that here. Uh, Isaiah Todd is another guy that I, um, I was, you know, I had him in the forties on my board. Um, so it's not a crazy pick, but I, I just, there's other guys still available that I, I think could have, given them more upside and, and more things to play around with. Like you took two positional shooters here and I don't really think either of them are going to offer a whole lot of other ancillary skills outside of that. So I just think they're easily replaceable skills and why not take somebody that offers so much more in so many different areas that can really vault your team to a different level. Um, even if they don't hit, at least you're taking that chance because you're not going to get it in, in free agency or the off season. So I don't know. I just, I don't really get the logic behind it. Um, Kispert and Todd, I think are going to be fine players. They're going to, uh, especially Kispert and they're going to be good shooters. Um, they'll, they'll fill the role that is asked of them, but I just, it, it's a role that I, I think is quite replaceable. And I, I don't really love just what they did here on draft night, honestly. Yeah, I'm sort of with you. I don't hate the Corey Kispert pick. Um, I don't love it either. 15 is like an okay spot for him. Um, but I think the easiest way for me to describe why I don't love this draft is because uh, at a place where the Wizards are, they could have had uh, Kai Jones and Deuce McBride, and they ended up with Corey Kispert and Isaiah Todd. And that's sort of the easiest way for me to describe like why I don't love this draft. It's just it's not like a draft with a lot of vision. You know, maybe they see a lot of upside in Isaiah Todd that I don't see. I, you know, if things really work out, maybe he can be a good scorer, but I see him more as just sort of a shooting specialist. So I don't know. I, I don't hate this draft, but it's just, it's just sort of uninspired. Uh, Coop Davis, if you guys have any takes on it, go ahead. I'll just uh, slide in. I do really like Isaiah Todd. I don't like him here on the Wizards. Uh, the way I can describe it quickly is they drafted six, seven less versatile Davis Bertans at 15 and six, 10 worse at literally everything Davis Bertans at 31. So I, it's so, it made me sad. Isaiah Todd anywhere else I think is fun. He's going to not get played on, on the wizards because he's not like, he's not going to get developed they're not going to work on his other stuff. And it's like uh, they have such a crowded front court. And they were like, let's add somebody who has the skill that we already have 15 guys who can do that now. It makes me so, uh, it makes me sad. But I'll yeah, up that's, you my, and say, that's my thought on the draft. I'll own up you and say Todd is, is worse at everything Kyle Kuzma, not worse at everything. <laughs> okay, take that back. Take that back. That's too far. He's uh... like, Okay, I, I do like far. I do like the fact that they got Aaron Holiday out of it. Um, like I said, I am a little bit higher on Aaron yeah. Holiday as a backup it's point dope. guard, and he's probably like their best. He's probably the best player they got on draft night, honestly. Um, and you know, you might be able to say that he's like a, a six foot Davis Bertans who uh, has a bit more playmaking. Uh, I'm just kidding, but I, I legitimately think he's probably the best asset to come out of draft night for them. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I really like Aaron Holiday. I was very high on him uh, during his draft year. Um, but we're going to move on to the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks at pick 20 took Jalen Johnson and at pick 48 took Sharif Cooper. Um, it's pretty hard to, to talk about like better values in this draft and not talk about Sharif Cooper. I was actually sort of lower on both these guys, the draft Twitter. But when you consider that pick 20 and pick 48 were used at take two guys that I had top 26 I want to say like that's still it's such excellent value um Coop give us give us the uh give us the Jalen Johnson scoop first uh well I I'm actually surprisingly not huge on Jalen Johnson uh but I do like him on the Hawks I think just adding more versatile front court guys for them uh who can you know you develop them for a year or two see what they can do see how they play with the rest of your guys and then decide whether to trade them or, you know, keep working with them. I think that's like, especially because people had him mocked going as high as like ninth. And I understand mocks, you know, not great at, they were terrible, especially this year at predicting where people go and value and stuff, but that, you know, by consensus, I think them getting Jalen Johnson here at 20 is good. And I'm glad they picked him. So then the Rockets couldn't pick him at 23. Um, but the real the star of the show is Sharif Cooper at 48, who's only on a two-way. And I I mean his playmaking as you know, just adding a second guy, you know, next to all their crazy connecting forwards and wings and you know, scorers that they have who can pass like Sharif. And I mean, hot take might be the best passer on that roster. Um I, I think that's a, that's a little hot, a little bit. I don't know. I We'll see. I think he has more versatility as a passer than Trey, but um, especially because he doesn't have the same gravity. But I I don't know. I don't – if he doesn't stick with the Hawks, I'm going to be really, really upset. Um, but it's a great pickup. I think I had him just outside my lottery, and it's completely ridiculous that other teams were like, yeah – you know, we'll take we'll take some other guys. We'll take we'll take Isaiah Dodd. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Um, what's funny is that Trey Young might be the greatest lob passer in NBA history, and you could make an argument that Shreve is a better lob passer. So I think that that uh, gives some credence to what Cooper is saying. I would say Trey is probably still the better passer because part of passing is creating gravity and Trey just has a lot more of that, but I, I definitely get what you're saying. And the fact that there's a credible argument that a player who was the best player on a team that made it to the Eastern conference finals and a guy who's taken pick 48 um, are like comparable in a certain specific skill. That's very good. It, it says something about the value that they just got at 48 uh, Davis. Do you have any takes on this draft? I mean, it was crazy that that Shree fell. Um... He was like a top. I think he was like six or seven for me. Um, so I I buy I buy the shooting. I still think he's gonna become a a pretty pretty good shooter. Maybe not good, but at least average to above average um, shooter. The passing is is crazy. The playmaking, facilitating for his size. He adjusts and how he adjusts in the air and finishing with both hands. Just everything is. There's a lot to like about him. Obviously, he's a little short, but um, I don't think that that should be any reason. He fouled a 48. 
But I mean, it's good for the Hawks. Like they they got a a top ten player, twenty player on on most people's people's boards at forty eight. Um, and and is it, it was a position they needed to a backup point guard to take to take uh, the ball out of Trey's hands or when he's off the court, get someone that can that can still create and make plays. Um, and then Jalen Johnson, I, I had him around there too, where they picked him like around 20, 18, 19, something like that. Um, so I, I didn't mind that at all. They're just really deep. So I don't, I don't know exactly how, how much playing time um, these guys are going to get right away. Probably not a lot, but um, I, I liked both the picks. They'll probably take some time and, and they have a lot of depth. So I don't really know um, how they're going to fit them in. But as far as value and fit wise, I like what they did. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Uh, Stone, do you have any specific takes? Uh, if not, we can move on to the Knicks. Yeah, I'll just really quickly say that I I did like the Jalen Johnson pick. Um, at the time, I'm not entirely sure if the Hawks knew if John Collins was coming back, so um, it was kind of good insurance at the very least. Uh, and I, and I like what he could bring again to those lineups, especially if Collins shooting sticks, like him and Jalen Johnson together could be pretty interesting uh, playing together. So, and then Sharif Cooper, um, I don't think he's going to get really any playing time, which sucks this year. I I just don't see it, but um, he's well worth that playing time. And I think, you know, as a backup, he's probably their best backup point guard, Um, but he's just not going to get the minutes. And if it's not with the Hawks, maybe it's with another team, but, I feel pretty confident that eventually Trey's talent will raise uh, enough to where a team allows him to, to get those minutes. I just, I'm not very confident it's going to be this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I think what's probably going to end up happening uh, is Sharif Cooper is going to be like the best player in the G League next year. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's that, Paul Reed's there. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Paul Reed might be getting minutes with the big squad. Um, we're going to move on to to a really interesting draft, um, and that's the Knicks. Um, the Knicks took Quentin Grimes at pick 25. Uh, they stashed Rokis Yokobitis at pick 34, selected Miles Deuce McBride at pick 36, and Jericho Sims at pick 58. This is a really weird draft because I, I thought those three guards would sort of go in, like, reverse order i guess and, and i i don't know this whole draft uh was weird but the knicks were sort of uh are sort of a a, a a stanchion where you can see the odd the oddities of this draft so coop i'm going to throw it to you first um give us the breakdown on what you think of the next draft uh well it was their pick that was used to draft kai jones so automatic f they traded that away um no i i i like them getting so this draft was kind of hammered originally because they didn't swing for any creation or, um, or like any like any guard advantage creation, right? And they just traded basically drafted shooters. But I think that with the them getting Kemba, who maybe doesn't exactly fill every single one of their needs, but I think just having another like a real legitimate creator or someone who they think can be a real legitimate creator. I don't, I don't know. I didn't watch enough Kemba this last season to really get a, a grasp on him, but I think Q at 25 is a bit of a, of a reach. 
for a guy who's primarily a shooting specialist. He's an interesting shooting specialist. I think he's really shown, like, I think he's added a bit more of a pull-up game as time's gone on, has a little bit more shooting versatility than even some of the guys who went above him. Uh, I like them stashing Rokas. Uh, I think that's a good pick objectively there. Someone who could come back and have value if they really need it. And then one of my favorite value picks of the, of the entire draft is I'm getting Deuce McBride. Um, I think Tibbs will really like him. I think his toughness and his grit as a small two-way guard. I would have had him going a lot earlier, but him on the Knicks is so much fun. And at the very least, he's going to absolutely tear up Westchester this upcoming season and might even be harassing real NBA guards, which is just a dream. Um, then Jericho Sims, why not? <laughs> um, it's, it's fun to get some, get a, you know, get a guy who you think can play in the NBA at 58. Can't be too upset about it. Even if there, you know, there were other guys, but the real question of this draft is who's the better Knicks two-way athletic undersized center, Jericho Sims or Kenny Wooten? Um, no, it's but, not uh, Wooten. I watched, I watched Wooten in the G league all last season. He's, he no. has so much and he's almost there, but he, he I can't, jumps really I can't high, but him. his, yeah, everything. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, that was a great breakdown. Uh, Stone, I'm going to throw it to you. Sort of give us your, give us your takes in a vacuum, but then also like what you think of the order these guys went in? Because I, I found that to be really weird. Like Quentin Grimes at 25 was such a shocking pick to me. And then Deuce falling all the way to 36, uh, you know, some guys that went in between like a Jason Preston went at 33. So just sort of give, give your take on, on this draft as a whole. Yeah. Um, I hated Quentin Grimes at 25. Uh, I thought that was a terrible pick. I would have taken him. I think I had him as like barely draftable. So to take him in the first round was uh, pretty disgusting to me. Um, I think they got really two guard two guards that really made up for that though in the second or early in the second. I really liked Yoko Betis. I went really in depth about why I like him. Um, probably the best draft in stash guy. I don't know. Have you guys heard if he's going to be stashed definitively? I haven't heard any reports on that. I feel like I've heard that, but I, I guess I don't know. Maybe that's just me assuming. Um, I but. assume he would be, but yeah, I haven't heard any confirmation on it. Um, and, and with Deuce too, I think Deuce was probably the clear best pick of this whole draft for, for the Knicks specifically. Um, I think he he's very much a Tibbs guy. Um, I can see him. Uh, I'm hoping he gets minutes his rookie year, uh, and I think he has exactly sort of the, the – Tibbs quote-unquote skill set that they would get him those minutes um really strong guard uh they, they have a lot of guards now so I'm kind of you know a, a little bit skeptical in terms of how much uh playing time he gets his rookie year but eventually I think it's going to pay off for them and he's going to be a really good guard uh, along with Yoko Betis. um again Grimes not super high on especially when you have um quickly there like it's just a lot of overlapping skill set I think uh not that Grimes can necessarily get his shot like like IQ can probably or or is he maybe the defender that IQ is um, both of those might be arguable but I, I don't really I just don't like the Grimes pick and you're taking two other guards that are better than him as well like it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me 
Uh, and then Sims, I had him like right around draftable. I think I had him like 65 or something. So I don't hate the pick at 58. Uh, there's other guys I would have taken, but it's nitpicking at that point. Um, <clears throat> with the Grimes thing too, I will say, uh, even with Yokobetis and McBride, like there were guys there I still probably would have taken over those three guys, like with with Kessler and, and Jared Butler, um, JT Thor. Like um, Grimes is sort of the the easy target there because uh, he he was the highest picked out of the three. But even out of the other two who I had higher on my board. There, there's other picks that I would have rather taken. Uh, but overall, like Yokobetis and McBride, I think make up quite a bit for the Grimes pick at 25. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, I, I, I will say, I think there's a solid chance they drafted three NBA players here. And if that's what happens, then, then that's sort of worth the, uh, worth the investment. Like I think Grimes could maybe be a legit movement shooter as a three and D player. Um, I don't buy him as a shot creator much either. Um, so there's that. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I I'm with you where it's like, I, I like your bias and I love McBride. Like McBride is such a good fit here as an off ball player, a three and D guard. Um, but just, it's just sort of weird value. I, I just, I think, you know, if they would have taken JT Thor or like anyone Stone mentioned, like I think that would have made for a better draft. It's just, it's not a horrible draft because I love Deuce. I like Yokus a little bit, uh, or Rokus, not Yokus, excuse me, Yokobitis uh, a little bit. Um, I, I think those two could even play together if they both hit because Yokobitis is like 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, um, but yeah, it's just, it's an okay draft. This is like a solidly average draft. Uh, I don't love the Jericho Sims pick because the Knicks have like so many run jump centers. Uh, it's just, you know, like I don't think he'll get any chance to play at all this year. Um, but that's what it is what it is with the 58th pick. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how I'm feeling about the Knicks draft. So on to the Nets here. Um, the Nets had a very prolific draft in terms of number of picks. I think, I think they had the most draft picks in this whole class. Um, at 27, they selected uh, Real Hooper Cam Thomas. At 29, they selected uh, North Carolina big man De'Ron Sharp. At 44, they took Kessler Edwards. At 49, they took Marcus Segarowski. And at 59, they took Raekwon Gray. So this is, this is a really interesting crop of picks. Um, and this is maybe my second favorite draft behind the Hornets. Um, so Stone, I'm going to throw it to you first. Like, how are you feeling about this draft? Are you as high on it as me or, or how do you, how do you feel about it? In total? Um, it is definitely not my second favorite draft. There's, I'll be completely honest. There's one pick I like out of the other picks and it's, um, Kessler Edwards. Uh, I, and it's not that I dislike, well, I I'll say for me on my big board, they only drafted two draftable guys that were on my big board. The other three guys I didn't have as draftable. Um, and then you have uh, with Cam Thomas, like I had him not too far behind pick 27, but I just don't understand why they would take Cam Thomas because you have three really like elite scores, like three of the best in NBA history in isolation. And then uh, you, you take like a really good isolation score who really doesn't give you much else. I don't understand the thinking behind it because the, I just don't under, you're not going to have enough usage for him and you don't want to take any usage away from your three, like all time isolation scores. 
just so Cam Thomas can get touches. So I just really don't get it from that perspective. Cam Thomas, I think, is going to be a fine player. He's good, but I, I just don't think he's. This is the ideal context for him. There's other places where he could have been more of more value than the Nets, in my opinion. Um, and but I will say, like with Kessler Edwards, I think this is a phenomenal fit because he's a he can be effective in low usage. Um, he's a really strong defender. He's a really good three point shooter. And I mean, if you're the Nets, what more could you really ask for from a perimeter player? Um, he's going to be somebody that they can run out there with their three great guys and he's going to give them value even when he's not getting the ball. Uh, and of the sort of like three and D type shooters or the, the really strong shooters in this draft, I'm actually higher on Kessler in terms of his um, self-creation more so than others. Uh, maybe uh, in the same tier as like a, uh, a uh, Corey Kispert, but outside of that, like I, I don't really see any other shooters uh, maybe Duarte too, but that, that can do what he does on ball. And it's not that it's great or anything, but like just in terms of attacking closeouts and things like that here and there, he's going to be somebody that I'm a little bit higher on in that sort of context and archetype. The day around sharp again, wasn't, he, he wasn't somebody I had as draftable. So just by definition, taking him in the first round is nothing I would have done. Um, Sharp has his moments. He has his positives being a really like probably the best rebounder or one of the best rebounders in this class for whatever that is worth. Um, really good passer. I don't know if they really need that in their context. He's an okay defender, I guess. Um, there's just not a, like, I like a whole lot that I like outside of the, uh, the Kessler Edwards pick for me. Um, and, you know, Cam Thomas is fan, fine value, but like I said, I just don't see him as being useful on, on the Nets. And the, the last two guys, Zagorowski, I'm not even really going to speak on it. I don't even have him top 80. Uh, and then Raekwon Gray, um, he's interesting. He's fine. Um, again, I think he's somebody that's probably going to need more usage than will he'll get on the Nets. So I, I'm just not, as a whole, not high on it, but I do like the Kessler Edwards pick. So it's so interesting how far away we are on this draft stone. Um, I, they drafted two lottery level guys for me. Um, Cam Thomas, and Kessler Edwards for, I had Cam Thomas 13 and Kessler Edwards 15. Um, and those were two guys in my lottery tier. Uh, I, I buy Cam Thomas as an off the ball player. Um, someone who can shoot off movement, can, can really space the floor for these guys. Um, and I, I just, I, I think, I also think like fit doesn't necessarily matter when there's a guy who's lottery on my board at 27, like just take that player and figure it out later. Um, you know, if a Harding goes down or someone goes down, uh, Cam Thomas can, can play more on ball in those situations. Um, the Dayron Sharp pick, I didn't like. Uh, I had Dayron Sharp undraftable as well. Um, he's not awful. Like he can probably be a backup center in the league, but I don't like spending first round draft capital or, or really any draft capital on a backup big. Um, he is not super athletic, does not have great touch, um, is a very good rebounder. He, he hustles really, really hard. Um, but I don't think that really makes a starting big. Uh, Kessler Edwards, I loved, love Kessler Edwards. He's maybe the best defensive ground coverage guy in this class. He's also an elite shooter. I buy him as a um, attack closeouts type guy. I think he can shoot a little bit off movement. Love Kessler Edwards, love that pick at 44. I think he's someone who could even provide immediate value, which to get at 44 is just nuts. Um, 
And then I'm higher on Zegarowski and Gray than you too, Stone. I, I, I had them both draftable. I think Zegarowski is a really good uh, scoring point guard. He can, he can finish, he can shoot. Uh, he's not a good passer, but he's not a bad passer either. Um, is he like a high level player? No, but you know, the, the Nets made Chris Chioza like, like a solid NBA player for a little bit. Like I think Zegarowski's a, a better player than that and has some more potential. And then Gray is just really weird. Um, and I don't mind taking a really weird guy with the 59th pick. So I really love this class. Um, two of the better picks in the whole draft value wise. Uh, Kessler Edwards probably is the best pick in the entire draft in terms of pure numerical value on my board. Um, and I love the fit here as well with Kessler. So uh, I come away from this draft loving, it. like I said, it's my second favorite draft and uh, it's one of only two I would, you know, if we were doing raise, I would give an A, is it's like, I just, I, I really buy what the Nets did here. Um, Coop, do you have any takes on any of these guys or the picks that were made? Uh, with the Cam Thomas pick at 27, I get the rationale of, well, if one of your top three goes down, but if you have a first round pick, I don't think that's the the thing you should be planning for, because even if one of those guys does go down, you should be looking for guys like Kessler Edwards, even who can, you know, supplement the the guy who didn't go down or the two guys who didn't go down. You shouldn't be planning to replace that value because you're never going to. Right. And I think that drafting a guy who, if all three are healthy, which is the plan for the Nets, hopefully. Cam Thomas, how many minutes is he going to play? Like five in a playoff game, even in a regular season game, that's he's good for the regular season, but for the Nets specifically who are going for a title, I don't know. I, there, there are very specific circumstances where you don't, to me, draft for just pure, pure upside. And I think the Nets are one where they have so much talent that you kind of need to work on accommodating them. And I mean, they did with Edwards. So it kind of, you know, makes things evens them out a little bit. I mean, I like sharp. I think I'm the highest on sharp. I had him like 50 or something. So <laughs> it, the value still sucks. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think he, he does add something the Nets don't have, which is rebounding and a guy who is big. But I think that I even like Raekwon more in that role because he's so, I think his versatile, versatility to guard forwards and maybe some smaller bigs makes him preferable to Dayron, even if Dayron can pass a little bit. He's not going to get the ball enough to actually utilize it. Uh, I mean, you guys have – the Kessler pick's great. Uh, not a big fan of the Zagorowski pick, especially with the signing of Patty Mills and the fact that they got value out of other guys and, you know, like Chioza. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I know I'm the highest, I think, of everyone on this draft, but uh, yeah, that's – Cooper, that's a good breakdown. Highest on Dayron Sharp, 50. Uh, that's uh, that that shows how how we generally feel on this podcast about uh, unscalable bigs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my pushback with with saying Cam Thomas like draft for fit here. Who on the board aside from Kessler Edwards at 27 is necessarily gonna maybe Deuce McBride, but even him on this Nets team, I think, is sort of odd because I think we all assume. They, like like Deuce is going to be a good spot up shooter, but 
sometimes it's harder than people realize to like do something you haven't done yet immediately at the NBA level. I mean, he Deuce is not someone who's really had to shoot spot ups uh, these past two years at West Virginia. Um, you know, Kessler has Cam Thomas, as much as Cam Thomas loves the ball, had to shoot spot ups, had to shoot off movement. Um, I, I still, I really like this draft. Davis, do you have any specific takes on this Nets draft? Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, it was, it was decent. Uh, I think they, they needed like a big, but, um, the bigs like in this class necessarily weren't, weren't the best to, uh, take, even though they did end up taking, taking Dayron. So, um, I mean, they filled that need there and they ended up getting gray too. Um, I think they just kind of saw Cam Thomas as the best player available, best value, um, and just just trying to probably outscore everybody, um, just just because he, he he adds to the plethora of of scoring uh, basketball players on the net. So um, I don't know if he'll get many minutes right away, but um, I, I think the minutes he he does get, he'll he'll probably you know, get, get a comfortable and learn a lot from, from Kyrie and Harden to, to ISO players and um, just to, to fluid scorers. So, I mean, I like it. I like it uh, development wise for Cam Thomas, just to see, uh, see those, see those two and Kevin Durant, of course, um, every day. But uh, I mean, it, it wasn't the worst shot. I liked it. I mean, I wasn't high on Cam, but it was like the 27th pick. So I, he was around there for me. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't uh, mind it at all. And Kessler, yeah, you guys hit it. It's, he was probably the, the bigger need of uh, more than Cam Thomas, but they ended up getting him still later in the, in the second. So I, I actually liked what the Nets did. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I think it's funny. I think we all fall sort of on a different spectrum on this Nets draft. And that's sort of funny considering the place they're at. Uh, there's a, a more than 50% chance none of these guys play any real NBA minutes this year. Um, and this is another team that I've heard rumblings that uh, their last two picks won't even get two ways. Sikorowski and Gray are potentially just camp bodies that they decided to draft. So um, we can look back at those picks and, and see them as completely worthless. And uh, I just, I don't want to spend too long on this, but it's a completely scummy thing the NBA does to, to draft a kid and then not even give him a two-way contract. Like there needs to be a rule in place with this next CBA that uh, you, someone has to get at least a two-way contract if you draft them. Um, I think you should even consider making maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into that, but there is, it's just a really scummy thing that, that you can draft someone and not roster them, but also not stash them overseas. Um, it's just, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, but we will move on to uh, the 76ers. 76ers, of course, took uh, one of the big followers of this draft, Jaden Springer at pick 28, uh, top 10 on a lot of boards. They took Philip Petrusev at pick 50, who will be stashed overseas. Uh, and they took Charles Bassey at pick 53, who is another one of those guys who um, is sort of, it's sort of up in the air, whether he's rostered or not. Uh, but, you know, obviously the big pick here is, is pick 28, uh, Jaden Springer. Uh, lots of talk, on, you know, last year, Tyrese Maxey, who draft was very high on, sort of fell into the 76ers lap at 21. And Jaden Springer falls here to 28. So, Coop, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, 
how do you feel about this Jaden Springer pick? Uh, were you as high on Springer as maybe the rest of draft Twitter? And, and were you as excited about this pick for the 76ers? Uh, I wasn't, I was originally really high on Springer at like the beginning of the cycle, but I also wasn't super in tune with the rest of the guys in this draft. And so as I started watching more guys, Springer just kind of fell like other guys would kind of slowly start to go above him. And it's like, I see the, I see it with Springer. It makes sense. He's very young and all that. I don't know if the Sixers, I get, I get the thing. I get like best pick available, take him. I don't know if it's the best developmental context, uh, especially with Maxi there. But I think a lot of our talk about developmental context is kind of skewed because if an NBA team wants to develop you, then they'll make time for you or they'll like really work to like, we see it as like, here's the rotation. And if you're not playing in the NBA, you're not getting developed. Right. Or if you're not getting these touches, there are other ways to develop guys, but I, I think it's a good pick. I can't give Daryl Morey too much, uh, too many flowers because I hate that guy. Uh, that's off the record. <laughs> but uh, I think it was a great pickup here for them. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat. Uh, Davis, how, how are you feeling about uh, Gene Springer here at 28? Um, yeah, I liked, I liked Springer. Um, I, I liked that he fouled a Philly. I wasn't necessarily high on him, but um, he was in that range. And I know he was he was projected to, to go higher in a lot of people's mocks and boards. But um, I, I, I like that pick by Philly, the rest of the draft, I was not a fan of at all. Uh, the two back-to-back bigs. Um, yeah, just especially, you know, Embiid's already there. So at, at best, it's going to be a backup big. Um, I, I just I, – I didn't like those 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 two in the back. But I, I, I did like the Springer pick. I think um, he probably won't play right away. But um, learning, learning behind – you know, Danny Green, Shake, and, and and a few others there. Um, they might be able to to develop him and make him a part of their their future plans. Yeah, I uh, I, I'm with you where I was not a fan of picks 50 and 53. Uh, again, scummy that Charles Bassey might not even get rostered, but Bassey was someone who I didn't have draftable, and Petrosev wasn't someone who I had draftable. Uh, Petrosev, there's some intrigue with because he was the best player in the Adriatic League this past season. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I feel I feel weird drafting someone who was inevitably going to lose his starting spot to Drew Timmy. Uh, and Drew Timmy is not at all an NBA prospect. So it's sort of like, um, I don't know, it just feels wrong. But Petrosev, you know, can maybe shoot, can, can maybe be an interesting post scorer. Um, but he's someone who... I feel like we might never ever see in the NBA. Uh, just I, I just sort of get that feeling where it's one of those, uh, you know, Nikola Milutinov type guys where it just never ever comes over. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that that's that's sort of a story for another day. Stone, how are you feeling about Jaden Springer here at twenty eight? Yeah, um, I, I like Springer at twenty eight. I had him, I believe, fifteenth on my board, so just that's uh, pretty good value off the bat. Um, we, you don't know with Maury really what his plans are long-term. Like, uh, I, I think there's a real possibility both he and Maxi are, like, utilizing some sort of package deal down the line to bring in another superstar because Maury doesn't really seem to be sort of the, the rebuild-type guy. 
Um, but <clears throat> that said, I think based off of where they are now, and I would assume, let's say like Ben Simmons isn't really in the picture, depends on what's coming back or not. But I think the opportunity with him and Maxi is really interesting as both two-way guys who do a lot of interesting things on both ends. Um, like both of them can be on or off ball, I think, eventually. Um, I think both are going to be good shooters. Both are going to be adequate defenders in, in Maxi's case, but in Springer's case, I would say like a pretty good defender. Um, there's, there's a lot to like with two guys who are capable of creating for themselves and others and defending their position on the other end of the court. So if you can get those things with two guards, that's, that's a really like um, nice combination for the future. Um, that said, again, like, I think Springer's going to need a little bit of time for development. He's still really young. I'm not really sure what the plan would be on the Sixers. It's really hard at this point because um, we're recording this before any sort of Ben Simmons trades happen. So it's like we're sort of predicting before a move is made that we know probably is coming. So it's difficult to say exactly right now, like what his role would kind of be without knowing what the team fully looks like yet. But that said, down the future, down the line, I really like him and Maxi as a pairing going forward. Um, Petrosev is someone I was never really high on. Um, I know a lot of people are. It's just, it's a shooting big, and you have Paul Reed, who I think is better. Um, so I don't really love the pick, and I think Paul Reed's a better defender. So it's just not like the best use of a pick. But again, it's difficult to nitpick when you're in the 50s. Like, it, a lot of it comes down to preference at that point for people. Um, and for me, I just didn't prefer Petrosev in comparison to other guys. Uh, Bassey, I was a little bit higher on. I had him very like fringe drafty. So um, I guess this would be sort of the range you would, I would consider him. Um, as a backup big, I really like him just uh, as a sort of a, a dart to chuck, if you will, <laughs> in reference to our friend chucking darts. Um, as a backup big, because he, he, I think, has more shooting upside than a lot of these backup centers um, and has sort of upside as a rim protector. So if you can cover those two things at an okay level, then I'll I, I'd take a chance on you as a backup center more than other guys. So I don't hate that pick. Um, but again, we don't even know if either of those guys will be on this team long term. So overall, it's a decent draft for them. Um, like the Springer pick and the other two guys were, eh, but it's in the 50s, so not a huge deal. Yeah, so I might have been the highest on Springer out of all of us. I think I ended up with him eight or nine on my board. Um, I just, I, I buy youth, that defense, the craft he's shown. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be like a true point guard, but he's strong enough that he can kind of be a wing. And honestly, if you just close your eyes and imagine like four years from now, the defense of Tyrese Maxey, uh, Jaden Springer, Matisse Thybul, like that's uh, that sounds miserable for opposing teams. Um, so you know, I, I sort of like that. I, I think he can run a pick and roll. Um, Jaden Springer was uh, was low key one of the tougher evals because I think I think he sort of got overrated at, at times. Um, but I, I I do like Springer a lot. I think at twenty eight, he's pretty insane value, uh, especially considering some of the guards that went ahead of him, like a, like a Quentin Grimes. So I think, I think um, the Springer pick was great. And yeah, those two second round picks are, are basically nothing. Um, I think there were wing bets on the board they should have taken. Uh, 
you know, like, like a Jordan Shackle would have been awesome on this team, but you know, I can, I can pick my nits all I want. This, this was a solid draft. They got a, they got a lottery player at 28. Um, so yeah, uh, we're now going to move on to uh, the reason you're all here. And that's so we can break down random second round picks um, that most people don't care about. Uh, if you're this, listening to the show, you probably care about it yeah. though. This is, this is, this is the upside swings brand, right? We're not just here to, to regurgitate stuff about Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green and Evan Mobley. You're here for these types of guys. Um, so the Bulls at 38 drafted someone who a lot of people actually know and and thought were, was a first rounder, and that's Iota Sunmu. Uh, the Illinois the Illinois boy uh, stays in his home state, uh, is going to play in Chicago. Um, it's hard not to love that aspect of this pick, um, but I know Stone and I are going to have some disagreements here. So Stone, I want to throw it to you first. How do you feel about this Iota Sunmu pick? Yeah, um, obviously I like it. If you've listened to our past episodes, um, we also talked with Evan Zoucha and and I was a guy who came up among various other names. Um, the, uh, this pick was obviously made before all the offseason moves and signings. Um, they have Lonzo, they have Damar, they have Caruso now. So there's a lot of backcourt depth. So my guess would be Io gets squeezed out a bit in terms of the rotation. Uh, at least early on, um, but I do like, again, the, the versatility he can give you as a guard. Like, he's someone I think that can play one, two, or three. Um, he's <clears throat> can play on or off ball, in my opinion. Uh, I really like his point of attack defense. Um, him and Caruso together would be really intriguing in that regard, playing those two lineups um, and, and maybe like a Zach Levine in between because – um, you know that Bulls defense is going to struggle, but I think Io can be an underrated contributor on that end uh, this season if they were to get minutes for him. Um, they have plenty of playmaking now. I don't really know if that would be his role, um, but early on that could be good for his development. You know, maybe you can um, put him in for spot minutes where he's able to develop more of playing off ball as like a three point shooter um, and not so much on ball playmaking because they have other guys to do that. So I like him uh, and I like him on the Bulls. It's just a matter of you know how much is is his uh, time really going to get there, at least in in his rookie year. But um, long term, I, I do like this pick, and I was higher on Io I know than you. So so I'm interested to see what you have to say about it. So I will say first thing with Io, um, I know JT Thor got the full four year contract using uh, Hornets cap space. I don't know. This might be the sort of Mitch Robinson. Um, the or, or like Jalen Brunson where it's um it's like two years and then if they accept the team option he's an unrestricted free agent if they decline it he's a restricted free agent um or it could even be a two-way uh, I I really don't know um but anyways uh with Io I've sort of made my case on why I'm way low on him uh I had him draftable but in my 60s um I just I I really don't buy the feel, the shooting, I, I just think, and I also think like the defense isn't quite that impactful. Um, I don't hate this pick in a vacuum. I don't like this pick when David Johnson is still on the board. Stone and I had this discussion. I think David Johnson is the better version of Iota Sunmu. Um, and, and I know, you know, I know Stone and I disagree on that. Go listen to our big board pod. I think that was one of our better discussions, but uh, it's just, I I don't love Io here because I I don't think there is enough like really good playmakers on this team. And that's, I, I don't see Io as that either. 
And if the shot's not there, um, it, I think it can be rough sledding for him in the NBA. Um, but it is the 38th pick. You know, it's it's not like this is like an F grade pick or anything. They didn't draft some some big who I had in my hundreds. It's just I don't love this pick. Uh, you know, the Bulls team fit doesn't matter that much. It's just in a in a vacuum. I think David Johnson was the way better version of what they had here, or even. Sharif Cooper was still on the board. I mean, that's there, there were still a lot of players on the board who I would have rather had than I would assume. It. Um, but, uh, oh, Stone, do you have something to say? Yeah, I was just going to say to push back a little bit, like in terms of the um, the shot making, I think you said, like they have so many shot makers on the team that it's going to be something I think it can develop. And the other thing I would say is like, there's other deck guys that definitely would have taken over IO because this draft was so wild. Like there are guys way late, like Jared Butler, which we'll get to and, and Sharif Cooper. Um, those are both guys that would have taken much higher than IO, but it's difficult to, I think it can make that case for a lot of picks that we're talking about. Um, and we're sort of just taking them at face value for what they are. But I guess that is something that has to be in consideration because you have to look at the value that's still on the board and I would have taken um, Jared Butler probably at 38 over Io. Uh, but for what it was, I, I think they could have done much worse personally. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Coop, do you have any Iodasunmu takes? Uh, I can't really fault the Bulls. I'm not a huge fan of Io personally. Uh, but if you think he can do, like if the Bulls front office thinks he can do all the stuff that Stone thinks he can do, I don't know if I think, I don't know if he can play off ball. That's my big concern with him. But if, if they think he can play on or off ball, then I can definitely see the rationale here. Not who I would have gone with, but it's not one that you can really lambast, you know, especially with all the moves they've made recently, like looking back makes it not as painful than to have taken someone who I don't like. We uh, should avoid talking about this Bulls offseason as a whole because uh, I think the entirety of Chicago might kill me, uh, and I love the city of Chicago. So um, we will we will avoid that discussion. Um, let's just say uh, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, Davis, do you have any Iowa Sumo thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I, I like the Sumo. He was around the 30 range for me, 40, 30, 40. Um, so I don't, I don't mind the pick at all. It was really before the, the bulls made any move. So, I mean, I guess they kind of needed, you know, a defensive, uh, minded guard, um, at the time they took at the time they drafted, I should say, uh, they did get, they did get Lonzo and, and Caruso, which they'll be a lot better on that end. Um, but, but I think AO, uh, just brings versatility on defense versatility for sure on defense, um, offense, I don't know if he necessarily has something to, to hang his hat on um, or, or if, like exactly what his role will be offensively. Um, but he's not ne- he's not really like bad at anything. I would say he's, he's just pretty, pretty well-rounded at, at everything he does. Um, so, I mean, I, I liked it for the Bulls. Uh, he's probably not going to get much opportunity this year just because of the signings they they had. Um, but, but if he does, I think it'll be a, a minimal role and most, most likely for uh, defensive purposes. Yeah. And an interesting tidbit, um, uh, this was posted by, by Mavs draft on Twitter, which if you listen to us, you probably follow him, but if you don't, you should. Um, and he was saying that 
in the past two drafts, no guy has gone, um, has played college ball in their state and then got drafted by an NBA team in that state. And then we've got Livers and Io in this episode, which is pretty cool. Um, anyway, it's just a random fact that nobody cares about. Yeah, uh, we'll hope someday that uh, it'll be Noah Williams playing in Seattle. But uh, until then, <laughs> um, no. But uh, so in the spirit of, you know, hard to criticize picks because it's the second round, uh, we're going to move on to the Celtics who drafted Juhan Begerin. I, I, that's not how you say it. It's, it's more. But I refuse <laughs> to put on a fake French accent and Juhan Begerin. Uh, it feels awful <laughs> to do. Um, but uh, Jan Begerin is a no, really, pretty good, though. That was pretty good. A, I got to give it to you. <laughs> is a 6'6", is a athletic sort of slashing guard. Um, not someone who I had ranked as draftable, but the more I think about it, the more I think that might have been an oversight. It's really hard to hate on a pick this late, but I think we can maybe just give some some general thoughts. Uh, Stone, do you have any Begerin thoughts? Yeah, um, I actually had Beggar in his draftable and I had him near like 50 on my board. So I might have been higher or highest out of the four of us on him. Um, I Do you know for sure yet? I, I don't know the, well, I, I assume he'll be stashed. I don't know for sure yet on that. I um, Yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but I think the assumption is that he's going to be stashed and, and Madar's being brought over. Um, yeah. Not, I, not to like, dive too deep into it, but uh, I loved Yon Madar last year. I had him, uh, I want to say borderline first round. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Madar guy too. Um, but to, to move it back to Beggar, and he's uh, he, he's super young, and to, to stash him will be um, good for him. He's super athletic as a guard, um, really built big. Like, he, he's just got such a really solid frame as a guard. Um, another guy who is he's like he's a really good defender and with his frame he's somebody I think like this might be a hot take but somebody I think could be like a one through three type guy as an undersized three in like three guard lineups um he's somebody who needs a lot of work offensively he's still really really raw uh, needs to refine his game on that end um not the best like you know shooter uh, at least off movement or anything like that so there's a lot to work on for him, but there's a lot to work with as well. Um, and he's at this stage too, where the Celtics can kind of try to just mold him, right? Like just mold him into what you want for your team. Um, and I think Beggarin is the sort of guy that can do that. He's He's got like really just natural gifts physically. Um, and like I said, he, he's somebody that I think will give them lineup versatility. So at 45, um, I like the pick and especially – since it was taken after uh, Sharif and, and Jared Butler. Yeah, I... Um, or excuse me, is, Sharif was taken after, my bad. Yeah, Sharif was taken after. But I will say that, um, you know, Sharif would have been great here. But sort of in a yes. vacuum, I don't hate Beggar in here. Um, he is just... I'm with Stone, where, where I think he's one of those sort of David Johnson, Iota Sunu guys where despite being listed as a guard, he's probably actually more interesting and more realistic as a wing. Um, he reminds me of a lot, and, and I'm not one for comments, but he reminds me a lot of Javante Smart, um, who was, or, or excuse me, Javante Green. Um, I don't know why I got that mixed up. Um, who, who was on the Celtics and just signed a two-year deal with the Bulls, um, who was just like a solid rotation player. He's a wing. 
He's athletic. He's not a great shooter, but he's not a bad shooter. He's not a great defender, but he's not a bad defender. He can get into the lane, uh, occasionally throws down a really fun-looking dunk. Um, if you draft that guy at 45, you're perfectly happy with that pick. Um, you know, not, not that that's, like I said, not that that's perfect, but the more I think about Beggarin, the more he kind of grows on me. Um, I, I see a lot of tools there. Uh, there is some flashes of, of really high feel, especially defensively. Uh, if you really dive through his tape, you'll see some really interesting um, sort of tracking off ball. He, he's really good at that. Um, or, or jumping passing lanes is the more obvious example. Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely some interest here with Beggarin. Uh, it's not the pick I would have made, but I, I specifically for the Celtics who wanted a stash guy, um, he was probably the best stash guy available. Uh, Coop, do you have any Beggarin thoughts? Or Cooper Davis, either of you, do you guys have any Beggarin thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I, he's pretty, I didn't hate the pick. He's just pretty far from, from, uh, NBA ready, at least in my opinion. I don't think he can really help a, a team right away, especially, I don't know if, if Boston is really like a, a contending team, you should say, but they're definitely a playoff team. Um, and I, I don't really think, I don't know if he'll help them right away, but I, I do like the, the stash. I obviously would have taken Sharif. I think even before the Celtics traded, uh, I think they had like 18 or 17. Um, I, I like mock Sharif to them. So like it was a perfect fit. Um, and then they, they still pass on Sharif. But other than that, I mean, I, I don't hate uh, Beggar. And obviously the, the, the shot isn't there yet. Um, it's pretty inconsistent at the moment, but he, he's still really young and um, maybe get stashed and, and come over and maybe, maybe, uh, get a get a solid role in the league and, and stay for a few stay around for a few years uh, a quick rebuttal i would say though is um not not to get too into it but like in the second half of the second round i think it's going to be tough to find like nba ready guys like that you think are going to contribute right away and to your team to winning at least um i know like in our viewpoint like maybe sharif or jared butler would be those guys or, or kessler edwards but like obviously in an NBA team's mind, they're not really viewing them as that or else they wouldn't be going this late. So I think um, it, it's just like you sort of have to temper your expectations relative to the front office perspective in terms of how they view uh, these late second round guys and, and how they can help their team immediately. Yeah, I think that's fair. Honestly, like past 20, it's pretty rare to find guys who are at all helping a team early on. Most rookies are just bad um, or they're old and don't have a ton of upside. Like Chris Duarte might help the team immediately, but we all shit on that pick because he doesn't have a lot of upside and the Pacers aren't winning a championship next year anyways. Um, so it's just sort of They'll retire before the Pacers get a championship. <laughs> I, I might retire before the Pacers get a championship with uh, no, but um, yeah, uh, they're missing Reggie Miller. Um, but no, in all seriousness, um, yeah, this, I mean, Beggarin is just like, like once you're, most rookies are bad unless it's like a Desmond Bain. Um, honestly, like if you really break it down to who actually helped teams win, Desmond Bain is probably one of two good rookies here. You know, I, I, people should not have expectations of winning help a rookie helping you win at best. They tend to be minute eaters. Um, it's pretty rare that you'll get like a Donovan Mitchell who can step in and immediately be like the best player on a playoff team. Uh, still absurd. He didn't win rookie of the year, but we don't need to dive into that. Uh, we've skipped over Coop. Coop, do you have any Johan Beggarin thoughts? 
I don't have any bigger in thoughts. I feel like you guys have done like you you guys all got to all the points I could make on him. Uh, I would just like to say this is the only time I'm going to make this point that the Celtics should have traded up for Jared Butler. This is the only team that I will say is in the desperately needs Jared Butler on their roster position, um, especially after trading away Kemba and being, they think they're on an accelerated timeline and their complete inability to actually develop talent is just so frustrating. So I don't like, and I get the stash, I get stashing someone and not them taking up a roster spot, but the Celtics with Jared Butler is just so tantalizing, especially I, their whole offseason has been so frustrating. But this just sitting and taking someone who has a chance of never even coming over and playing NBA basketball when they could have done a little bit and traded up to like 37 and gotten Butler, which would have taken nothing. It's so frustrating as someone who wants to see the Celtics succeed. It's uh and yeah, now they're gonna get stuck with Dennis Schroeder. Um, and I will say that like all 30 teams should have traded up for Jared Butler because he can help all 30 teams, I think. And every team should be ashamed of themselves besides the Jazz. So shame on you, NBA teams. Um, you pathetic people. I don't know who's making decisions. <laughs> Boo Brad Stevens. Uh, but no, that Coop brings up an interesting point with um how like like poor the Celtics have been at, at developing players. I mean, aside from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I mean, Romeo Langford has had some injury issues, but he hasn't really developed. Um, even like second, like Gershon Yabosele, like never became anything. Semi Ojale never quite hit what he could be there. I think like Semi Ojale, I thought was really good and, and was going to be good. Even Grant Williams. I mean, Grant Williams was a draft winner darling. Uh, everyone was was super stoked when he got drafted by him, and and ha- he hasn't done much of anything of real substance so far in his NBA career. Um, it's hey, just that you're uh, slandering the, the new vice president of the the NBA PA. So I, I'd keep I, my mouth shut if I were you. I like Grant Williams. I thought he was maybe a little overhyped in the in the draft Twitter sphere, but it's um, way too overhyped. But yeah, I mean, they're sneaky, like very bad at player development and getting a player who like Jared Butler, who is just he is an NBA player. I mean, Jared Butler is one of the safest guys outside of the top five. I can't believe he fell to 40. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, so, yeah, with that being. Oh, go ahead. Stone. I would say too, like they also did, a, to, in my opinion, a good job of developing Robert Williams who I was pretty low on, but they've made him into like a really formidable rim protector. And I think you can't, it's difficult to say, like, I agree with you guys that they haven't done a great job of player development, but like, I also think you're sort of missing, like just saying apart from Jared or uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like those guys have turned into like NBA stars. So I, I think it's sort of difficult to just push them aside when they've made them what they are in terms of being like two franchise guys. Um, but I agree with you, like percentage wise, like the, the amount of guys that hit is relatively low for them. Um, but I, I think it's important to note that they did get two franchise guys by drafting them. So I, I would just keep that in mind as well. That's true. Uh, yeah. You know, just like with anything, there's a uh, middle grounds, um, but Speaking of uh, not middle ground, I suppose, uh, the Bucks won the championship last year, and uh, they drafted two players, 
both of which are likely to get rostered uh, because of their need to avoid the luxury tax and uh, roster cheap players. Uh, there's a whole thing with uh, second round rookies that you draft. If you sign them, uh, they count below the minimum. Uh, so they drafted Sandro Mamukilashvili and Yorgos Kalizakis. Um, let's start with Kalizakis because it's going to be really easy. He averaged two points this last year. Um, he is a wing forward who isn't very quick, uh, doesn't have like NBA athleticism, uh, is a mediocre shooter. Um, a solid passer, a solid ball handler, but uh, I I would say was a bad pick at 60. Does anyone have any um, outsized thoughts there? I like him as somebody to take a chance on. Um, you know, maybe they're caught up in their – people are, I think, like overestimate the Giannis thing where it's like, oh, it – this one guy just needs an opportunity and a chance and he can be the next NBA superstar. That's not how it works. It, it's an outlier thing. Um, <clears throat> that said, I think um, with Georgios, he's worth a flyer in my opinion, um, especially this. Like, I didn't have him on my board because I didn't realize he was auto eligible, but if I did, I probably would have had him top 70. Um, so it's not a terrible pick, but the last pick in the, in the draft um, and a wing who can handle the ball, like there's some interesting stuff there to work with, and, and he can shoot a bit. So I don't, I'm not absolutely out on the pick there. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair take. Um, there are wings I liked a lot better, um, but I, I guess it's fair. it's like just take a bet on a wing. But you know, Romeo Weems was on the board, or uh, Jalen Aaron Henry. Aaron Henry, though Aaron Henry might have wanted to go UD. Um, I'll say that. Yeah, but. but I, I don't know exactly like if Kalazaka is going to get a two way or if he's going to get a full contract. Um, I believe the Bucks both their two ways are taken up. Um, I get stashed. He could get stashed though. Yeah. I don't know if that's likely because from what I've heard, the Bucks want to bring him over um, to avoid tax stuff. Uh, but we'll we'll see. You never know what that type of stuff. But they made a more interesting pick at fifty four. I think a guy we were all much more familiar with, um, and that's Sandro Mamukilashvili. Um, from Seton Hall. We've seen him in multiple different contexts. He's looked like an interesting player in, in all of them. So, Davis, how do you feel about Sandro here? Um, I, I like Sandro to the Bucks. actually. Uh, second round, 54. Um, I don't I don't feel like that, that was a reach at all. That was kind of like his his range. Um, and, and you just take your guy at that point or whoever you feel is the best fit or best available, whichever route you want to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I – I like it. He's he's a funky player. Um, obviously, he need, needs work on defense. Um, but you have, you know, Giannis there. You have Drew there. Pretty good defenders all around. Um, so they they might be able to pick up some of his some of his uh, defensive slack if he does get on the court. Um, but I, he's he's a good ball handler. I don't really know like his his role really probably. You know, as a four or three and just occasionally, you know, brings the ball up or 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 something like that. But he's a really good passer for his size. He's a good shooter. Um, just really, really good offensively, actually. Just just the defense is is really worrisome. So um, but but like I said, the Bucks I feel have have the defensive talent to make up for for that. So I like to the pick there at 54. Yeah, I, I love this pick. 
Um, this is one of my favorite picks in the draft. And it wasn't like some crazy value. Uh, it's not like Custer Edwards where it's like a massive despair, like disparity between where he went, and where I had him. I had Sandro like 45 and he went 54, but I really, really like his fit here. Um, I think he can develop as potentially a movement shooter, um, which is which sounds nuts because he's 6'11 and can dribble the ball and pass. And yeah, it kind of is nuts. That's sort of, that's Sandro. Um, that's who he is. Um, but I, I love his fit here in the roster. I think they can do some really interesting things with him. Um, so this this is one of my favorite uh, second round picks. Um, Coop, do you have any Sandro Mamuki last really thoughts? Uh, just that taking someone who has a real potential to be something interesting in the league at this point, I think is a real, real win, especially for the Bucks, who just came off of a, a championship season. And, you know, there's not, he's not going to contribute next season, but if you give him a few years and he's able to become something for them, then that is just a massive win there at 54, especially for someone who, if you like, if you look at his, uh, his potential, that fit with Giannis down the road is really, really interesting where you have two guys who sort of cover each other's weaknesses really well in the most maximized version of Sandro. Yeah, I, I like that point um, that you bring up that it's just like, I really like teams that once they're in the second half, like the back half of the second round, aren't taking flyers on guys like Charles Bassey, who like at their best are like low end starters, median end backups, like whatever. Like you take someone like Sandro who has a low floor. He There's, there's a probably greater than 70% chance he's not an NBA player. But if he hits and he's an NBA player, he is a valuable NBA player. He is someone who can really make a difference. Um, and that's something I really value. I'd rather take I'd rather take 150 Sandro Momokilashvili's than than one uh, than one Charles Bassey or Philip Petrusev. And that's not to hate on those guys specifically, but it's just I want to take guys who who aren't just going to like, I don't want to take to someone and say it's a win because they hang out at the fringes of the league. Like I like the idea of betting on someone who, yeah, this guy might not work out, but if he works out, he's a huge steal because even if Bassey becomes a solid, you know, backup center, like no one's going to say like, Oh, what a huge, huge steal. That wasn't 53. If Sandra Momokilaj really is like a movement shooter who can attack when you close out too hard and make smart passes, you're going to be like, how did that do with all the 54? So, so purely thinking of it like that, I love this pick. Uh, Stone, do you have any thoughts on Mamu? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll keep it kind of brief. He's like, we've talked about, he's, he's such a good ball handler for his size. Like, uh, there's very few guys that I've seen, or if any at, at this point, that are as big as he is, that can handle the ball and pass as fluidly as he can. Um, it's just such a rare thing, and he, he's great at it. But um, for every, all the good things he gives you offensively, he's just going to give it back defensively. Like he's, I feel very confident in saying he's going to be a bad defender um, if he gets like consistent NBA minutes. He's just a train wreck on that end. There's really like, <laughs> I can't understate how bad he is on that end. But he's so interesting offensively and can give you so many different lineup versatility options. Like, there's a legitimate case I could make, I think, for playing him as a point guard, like your backup point guard, which is wild as a 6'11 guy. Um, that said, like, the other thing, too, I do like is it, obviously it's pick 54, so I don't know how much that plays into it, but they're relatively, like, not that deep as far as big, 
big men. Like you have Giannis, you have Brooke Lopez, you have Portis. So maybe there is like a chance or an opportunity for him to carve out a little bit of a role in the regular season. Um, and, you know, he's, he's surrounded by really good defenders. So the, the major weakness he has can be minimized with the roster around him. So I like the pick at 54 and I, um, I really hope Sandra succeeds because he's such a fun player. Yeah, a, a league with with a good Sandra Momokilashvili is a better league, um, and uh, I'm I'm happy to say that. Uh, and with that said, uh, this this wraps up the Eastern Conference. Um, this is a marathon. Uh, we we have another one we're recording right after this, um, and that'll be fun. That's the Western Conference. Um, but uh, this has been great. Um, the Eastern Conference just is sort of it, it's going to be the best it's been in a long time next year. Um, I don't know how much of that really has to do with this draft, probably none of it, but you know, this, this was a fun draft. Uh, this draft night was crazy. Um, yeah, this is, this was fun. Um, Davis, do you want to let the people know where they can find you? Yeah, so definitely. So you can find me on Twitter at sports by Davis. Um, I'll post everything on there. Um, and, and retweet all the, all the upside swing stuff for the brand. So. Yeah. Uh, Coop, you want to let the people know where they can find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Cooper underscore Rockets. Uh, you know, you can find writing on Roll Call and here. That's it. Yeah. That's where that's I am. A, that's a perfect plug. Uh, so do you want to let the people know where they can find you and what they got to do? Yeah. Um, you can find me and all my draft work at report underscore court. Um, and then if you want to support the podcast, you can follow it at Upside Swings on Twitter. Um, and then any subscriptions, ratings, or reviews help us out a lot. Try to help us uh, grow our audience a bit. Um, it's always a, a bit more gratifying when we can do that. Um, and shout out to Cooper. This is his first recorded podcast with us. Uh, he'll be joining us officially um, for the remainder of Upside Swings. So um, get used to hearing his uh, glorious vocal cords. Absolutely. On that price, Hendrick 14. Uh, this has been great. This has been the Upside Swings Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.